On this week's episode of the We've Seen That podcast, we're talking about Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. I'm Jim. And I'm Adam. Cut the music. We are back. I, I feel as though I'm obligated to say that because a- Anthony and Scott say it every single time, you know, just informing you that, in fact, we have returned for another episode. But it's just Adam and me this week. We're going to go a little bit wild on some nerd shit here. Yeah, I guess Jim and I are going to go deep into Star Wars and we scared the other guys off, I think. Yeah, yeah. After we did The Empire Strikes Back, they were like, eh, got to stay away from the Phantom Menace with these two. For sure. But, I wasn't on that episode, but... Oh, yeah, you weren't, but I was. I, <laughs> I went wild with him on that one. It was a good one. So if you haven't listened to our uh, Empire Strikes Back episode, you should go find it. Yeah, and that's a better movie, so... Spo- spoilers for some ratings, but... <laughs> <laughs> um. So we'll start with what we're watching. Adam, what have you been watching? I haven't been watching too many movies, but I'm watching some TV so uh, there was an Amazon original show that just finished its first season called Invincible. Uh, it's a superhero show, completely disconnected from both Marvel and DC, completely standalone, own world building, own characters. Um, I don't remember if it was like eight or ten episodes, but I binged the whole thing in like two days. I was hooked after episode one, and I loved it. Everyone should check it out if you like superhero stuff. It is very adult, though, so if you have kids, don't maybe don't do that. Uh they yeah. are rated, but it's it. I loved it. It was great. Uh, Angie watched the first episode or two, and I believe she said she got through the first episode, was thinking like, oh, it's a normal superhero show. And then at the end of the first episode, there is a relatively large bout of violence. And she was like, oh, so that's the kind of show this is. Yeah, the first episode was pretty, it was good, but it was pretty generic superhero fare. I was like, oh, this seems good. I'll probably watch it, but I don't know. I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it wasn't uh, thrilling. And then I think I don't remember. There's like a late title, not late, but like a title card at the end of the episode, and then another scene. But this like end scene, I was like, "What?" And I was hooked. And then I just watched the rest of the season and absolutely loved it. Okay, so would you say it's a relatively similar thing to The Boys? Eh, kind of. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a parallel. Um, I'm coming from the side of knowing nothing about the Invincible comics, because it was a comic series first, I believe, yep, right? It's by uh, Robert Kirkman, which I think is the Walking Dead guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a few hit hits under his belt. Uh, I haven't, I was never a Walking Dead fan, but people love, loved that show early on, and the comics are supposed to be amazing. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a really good show. People should check it out if you have not yet. Well, that's good to know. I, I need to sit down and actually, I The Boys Season 2 has been on my backlog, as we've discussed, for quite an amount yeah, of time. Yeah. The, the, the Boys is great as well. Anthony and Scott finished that like months ago, and here I am sitting here being like, oh, still haven't watched the best new thing because I'm, <laughs> you know, terrible and like to rewatch things I love. 
Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But it seems you doubled up on Star Wars content this week, too. Well, sort of, yeah. Uh, this is over the past few weeks. I've been watching Star Wars The Bad Batch, which has been coming out weekly uh, every Friday. Um, I think we're... Is it three episodes three, now, Three I episodes think? in now? Yeah, yeah yesterday was... The, or when you're listening to it, the past Friday was the third episode. Um, and it's an animated show. It's like a sequel spinoff to the Clone Wars animated show, which I have been on here preaching before. Mm-hmm. um it's pretty good the first episode was like 70 minutes long it was like a small movie it was very cool that's uh, definitely takes... long for animated movie or animated show i should say yeah the next two have only been like 25 minutes like a standard it, it was like a the pilot was a introduction right. thing um but the first episode takes place like during order 66 and you get to see this this group of enhanced clones they're called the bad batch because they're defective like one is like really big and one of them has like enhanced tracking abilities so they're not normal clones but those sound um, like benefits not detriments they are and they there are explorations throughout clone wars of uh defective clones there's like one who ends up being a janitor because he literally can't be a soldier and then there's these other ones who their defects quote unquote uh make them different and less obedient which okay. the clones are supposed to be obedient and stuff, but they're also enhanced and extremely good at combat. Um, so that's kind of the premise of the show. And uh, not to go full on in Star Wars, but the clones have chips in their head that makes them comply with Order 66. And part of them being defective is their chips don't work either. That so is a dur- wild thing that I absolutely never knew. Yeah, watch Clone Wars. You should do it. It's amazing. Uh so what happens is during Order 66, all their comrades start turning on the Jedi and they're just like, what the fuck is going on? And then there's the show is the fallout of that and them being on the run from what is now the Empire, even though they just served an entire war for the Republic. So did the Jedi know about the chips in the clones' heads? Nope, just the Kaminoans and uh, Palpatine slash Sidious. And okay. A few others few other select members like tarkin uh isn't it young tarkin yeah grand moff not yet but yeah <laughs> just moff no just kidding um, he's an admiral at this point <laughs> okay so like the the reason there's no specific reason why the clones listened to the jedi when they gave orders right so this chip had nothing to do with that because i mean they were based upon uh uh, DNA of Jango Fett, who's not one to follow orders. I guess that was always a little um, bit confusing to me. Yeah, their their genes were like modified to make them more obedient. Okay, uh, just it was like a an enha- not enhanced trait, but like a a preferred trait in the cloning process. But the chips were not actually part of that. Um, the chips were just to force them to do certain things at this one specific point in time yeah so they could be overruled or overridden so to speak yeah yeah okay that's interesting that makes me that honestly if that's explained in clone wars that makes me way more intrigued to watch that yep there's a whole arc where some of the clones find out about it ahead of time and like there's a conspiracy and then like other clones are sent to like hunt them down because they follow orders and they're not in on the conspiracy it's it's wild Jesus, that is deep shit for what is kind of a kid's show, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Oh, There's Jesus. some 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't been watching anything quite that cool, I don't think. I rewatched uh, Good Morning Vietnam. It's Robin Williams at his peak, I feel like, you know, of just slapstick and crazy humor. He plays a radio DJ. Uh, during the Vietnam War, he's sent in and he kind of ruffles the fez ruffles the feathers of the people running the army radio station they don't want anything wild happening and of course robin williams is the wild thing that happens i give it a 7 out of 10 i think unfortunately it doesn't age wonderfully just like some of the jokes don't quite hit as well anymore and some of the references aren't there anymore but i still think it's incredibly funny at the same time being wildly depressing i've described it before and i'll say it again it is the funniest sad movie you'll ever watch yeah, that movie gets dark at the end. And I think I don't have a good enough background on Vietnam conflict to understand some of the nuance. I think there's some stuff I kind of missed at the end that maybe oh, if absolutely. you were alive, alive during that time period following that news and everything would have hit even harder. And it still hit pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a very large reveal, reveal at the end um, that just upsets everything you kind of thought for most of the movie about a specific character and it's really wild and really upsetting and saddening right and that's part of why it's uh such an impactful movie because you're laughing the whole time and all of a sudden this comes out of left field yeah um the other thing i've been watching is i've been re-watching the dc show titans so this used to be on the dc specific dc universe streaming app and then they folded a bunch of that shit into HBO Max, which is where it is now. Um, and I kind of wish I had stuck with this show the first time through. I'm rewatching season one and I'm maybe three quarters of the way through. And it's just this hyper violent group of Starfire, uh, Beast Boy, Raven, and uh, Dick Grayson. And Dick Grayson is going through some growing pains, deciding whether or not he's still going to be Robin. He has kind of an issue with like being overly violent as Robin. So that's part of why he wants to stop and his transition into being Nightwing all the time, trying to be responsible for uh, Rachel Roth, who is Raven. Um, And she's the son of the devil himself and has some issues. So it's, it's really cool. It's dark and scary. And, if I can stick through it, I'm hoping to get through season two eventually. Yeah, I haven't checked that one out yet. It, looked, it always looked interesting. Maybe a little bit leaning into the dark stuff that, I don't know. But if, if it pulls it off, it's good. Well, and you know it's dark because at the end of the first episode, Robin says, fuck Batman. And I mean, that's really, oh, really, yeah. you, you know, it. aggressive. Gotta lean into that. Once you finish it, if you're looking for more of that DC stuff, I still recommend the Harley Quinn show. Yeah, I got to get on that. And we never finished, Angie and I never finished Doom Patrol either. So I got to try and finish that at some point. I don't know. The the problem with both Titans and Doom Patrol, we watched the first season for both of them. And I don't know what it is, but DC could not land the end of either of those seasons. So season one of Titans, they're building up, building up to fighting Trigon, Rachel's dad. And he shows up in the final episode of season one, and then they don't beat him, but they don't lose either. Hmm. So then you show up for season two, and in the very first episode, they just whoop his ass and move on. And it, it seems it's anticlimactic. weird. Yeah, exactly. It's anticlimactic because 
they worked so hard and he was so hard to overcome and all of a sudden 40 minutes later we're done with him you know it seemed i don't know boring upsetting you know what i mean but yeah. i don't know i'm hoping to get through it this time and hopefully now that they have some runway after that first episode of season two titans will be better from there on out because we never actually got to see dick grayson become nightwing which was the most exciting thing about that show hey I gotta porn. love the high porn. Oh yeah, love it for sure. We have a stacked listing of hype this week. Um, mostly it's wordy just because, uh, well, and I guess we'll start with this one. So that Friends reunion that everyone's been wanting for forever and is finally happening, there's been some news about it. It's going to air on May 27 on HBO Max. It is apparently unscripted. All six of the friends are returning, along with guest stars, including BTS, Lady Gaga, David Beckham, Justin Bieber, uh, James Corden, Cindy Crawford, Cara Delevingne, Elliot Gould, Kit Harrington, Larry Hankin, Mindy Kaling, Thomas Lennon, uh, Christina Pickles, Tom Selleck, James Michael Tyler, Maggie Wheeler, Reese Witherspoon, and Maya, Maya Yousavi. And I, I don't even know what this is going to be. I mean... It's not like a reunion of the friends. It's a reunion of the actors talking about friends, right? Right. And I don't think that's what anyone wanted. I'm sure there's some super fans out there who will be happy with it, but like I'm sure they would have preferred actual an actual reunion episode. Yeah, I, and I was never a big friends guy. Yeah. Some of them like I know Tom Selleck was on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. So that makes sense, I guess. But some of the other ones, like, was Justin Bieber even born? I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. He was our age, so, like, he was a baby. But You think you're being funny. (laughs) Like, but for real, though, like, most of these people would have been fans or friends of the actors. Like, I don't really get what they're doing on it. Yeah, and I, if, let's say this is going to be an hour long, because how much longer do you actually want to listen to them? You know, and to have all of these people, quote unquote, guesting on it. And I don't want to hear any of them talk about it. There's six other people I want to hear talk about it. Right. And like, I don't really understand what it's going to be. Are they going to be like watching episodes and like talking about what they remember from them? Or just like, is there going to be a host pulling up clips? Or is it just going to be freeform? I don't really get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know. I, I, I was excited about it because I'd love to see a where are they now friends episode. I think that would be a little bit fun, but I only want it to be one episode. It doesn't need to be more, you know, no reboot of the show or whatever, but this now that I understand maybe, well, and I don't understand what we're getting, but maybe now that I've seen kind of what this is going to be to one degree or another, I'm not sure this is what I ever wanted. I'm not going to watch it. I was never a huge Friends fan to begin with, so I don't even know if I would have watched an actual reunion episode, but there was a chance. There's no chance I watched this. Yeah. I This has got a very low chance of me watching it, and I only was a Friends fan until well after the fact, right? Because it was done in, what, 2004? Something like that, yeah. You know, and I was only 10 years old. You know, I didn't get it, you know, and my parents didn't watch it, so it wasn't on in our house. Right. Um, but let's move on to more exciting things. Venom, Let There Be Carnage dropped a new trailer and the movie is quote-unquote coming soon right how do we feel about the trailer adam i don't know it looked all right it 
the tone seemed kind of all over the place. The beginning scene where Venom was making breakfast for Eddie was kind of silly and goofy, and that's kind of the tone I want. But then after that, it got super dark again with Carnage and Woody Harrelson playing Carnage, which I don't know how I feel about that casting. Uh, It seems a little bit off. They're trying to tread a line here between humor and comic book horror, you know? Right. Um, I don't know. I might see it. Maybe when it comes to streaming, I doubt I'll go to the theater for this one, but it looked all right. If you're a Carnage fan or a Venom fan, I hope it's good for you, but I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jim? Yeah, this is a major stream it movie for me. I'm not going to sit down in theaters for this one, especially after the last one was just the littlest bit disappointing. You know, it didn't quite land. And I think for I a character that once. I think is super cool. I, yeah, Venom's a cool idea. I think I saw it once maybe like on a streaming thing, but I don't know how close to attention I was paying. I don't really even remember much of it. I made the mistake of buying that one on a flyer. So I have the, the 4K Blu-ray and I haven't watched it since. But that's the way a lot of my Blu-rays go, is I'll buy it just so that I know that I have my copy, you know? Yeah. And then I'll see it on streaming, and that's where I'll watch it. I picked up some DVDs at a rummage sale a couple weeks ago. I haven't watched them yet, because they're movies I've already seen and probably could get on streaming, but... What'd you get? You gotta tell us now. So, one of them was a triple pack of uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and... And Knocked uh, Up? And knocked That's up. normally the third yep, one, yep, yeah, which is a good three pack. And then what? The other one was Looper, the uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt the... and yeah. Bruce Willis movie with the time travel. I don't even remember what the third one was, but I don't know. It was like three dollars for all five movies. So <laughs> I used to see that three pack all the time and want it, but never pulled the trigger on it. <laughs> Same. But then I saw it at this room myself for a dollar. And well, I have not watched any of the movies off of it yet. Now I could, if I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else's loss is your gain. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. So we've had some casting news for knives out too. Again, this one's going to be coming to Netflix. Now they bought the rights. Yeah. Um, and so in addition to Daniel Craig and Lakeith Stanfield, both returning from the first one, Dave Batista, Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, and Edward Norton have all been cast in the, the sequel. Sign me the fuck up. I'm really here for all of this, other than maybe Dave Batista. I'm kind of a Dave Batista naysayer. Really? But I've liked him in pretty much everything I've seen him in. I mean, but what has he been in other than guardians of the galaxy stuber i didn't and, i didn't see him in stuber um, i didn't hear the great things i guess yeah it was not good he i mean <laughs> um, he has a great fight scene in sky not skyfall um the james oh, specter specter he's got a good fight scene but i guess he doesn't do a whole lot in there but i did really yeah. like him in blade runner it was a very small part but i thought he did a very good job and that was a heavy, yeah that to a me is the role. highlight for him yeah uh, but I, I think it's Drax the Destroyer. He's fine, but unfortunately, A wasn't given much to go on, and I, I don't know. In my personal opinion, I think he's not the best actor in the world. Yeah, um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what he does here. Uh, the last movie, the tone was so over the top, and I think he is very good at Drax, which is a very over the top character. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what Ryan Johnson does with him. I, and I think if it's and we had texted about this at one point because because Catherine Hahn, we both know most recently from WandaVision. Right. Where she was just hamming it up like crazy as um, Agatha. Yeah. And she's and, just in general in most things I've seen her and she's very hammy over the top. 
uh, it's her strength, I would say. I would agree. And I think if if Batista can lean into that and gets decent content for that, I think he could be good. Yeah. Um, I just, if, if it's fully serious all the time, I think he can, he struggles. Yeah. Um, but I mean, also so excited to see our good friend, Edward Norton, the Hulk getting some more work. Yeah. I mean, um, he doesn't get cast much anymore because reportedly in rumors in Hollywood is he's kind of a dick. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> um, so hopefully he doesn't ruin the movie but when he's good like as an actor like just acting not being on set and being a dick to other crew members and his castmates uh he's he's a very good actor fight club uh he plays a really slimy villain in uh oh what's that movie with uh jason statham mark Wahlberg, and the mini coopers you are asking the wrong guy. I remember him it's from. A heist uh, movie. There's a movie the where like, job. he the like Italian kills job. a priest or something like that, or is accused of killing a priest. That one I'm not familiar with. I was thinking of the oh. Italian Job though. He plays a really slimy villain. Ben recommended that one to and or to Scott and me, I believe. But I'm struggling to remember the name right off the cuff here. Gotcha. Yeah. No. Anyways, knives out too. Oh. I'm I'm excited. Cast looks good. Yeah, and I mean, if they can capture the the feeling of the first one again, I think it's going to be good. I I want more from Benoit Blanc. That's I, for I sure. do too. The only thing that worries and his ridiculous me a accent. Bit, yeah, for sure. I'm a little worried that uh, Anna de Armas was like the heart of that movie, and she will not be returning because I mean, her storyline was kind of wrapped up. Right, because now it's another story of Lakeith Stanfield's, and I forget the character's name, but the detective calling in Benoit Blanc to help again on a different case, right? Right, because, like, she she was, like, a, well, not, no spoilers, but she was part of the investigation, not the investigator. Um, so, right. So Anna Darmus doesn't really fit in a sequel. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with you completely. She was what made that movie so great i think in large part she carried a lot of the the fun yeah and also carried a lot of the tenseness that there was in that movie right because it was a lot of it was focused on her for sure so i'm interesting to see if they can branch out from that and still capture that same lightning without having her at the center yeah i agree uh, next thing we have is an A24 movie called The Green Knight, Knight spelled with that silent K. This is releasing on July 30, but they dropped a new trailer. And it's apparently about an Arthurian, like King Arthur legend, right? That's what you were telling me? Yep, it's a, it's a poem from the Arthurian legend canons. Uh, I think the main character, which will be played by... Dev Patel is uh, Sir Gawain. 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 I don't know. I think it's Gawain. That's how I've always heard it pronounced. pronounced It, but he's he's like Arthur's nephew or something. Uh, And the the trailer shows this, but the basic premise is that this weird titular Green Knight shows up at the Round Table and challenges Arthur, but Gawain steps in front of it and takes the challenge instead. Um. And the Green Knight says that whatever stri- whatever blow you strike upon me, I will repay in one year. Uh, so Gawain cuts the guy's head off and then kind of has this realization that that means in a year he's going to have to get his head cut off. And then, Right. It has some strong horror vibes yep. to it, you know, which is really sweet. Yeah, it's got um, uh, 
the art style, um, well, just particularly on the Green Knight himself, kind of reminded me of, like the Pan's Labyrinth, like that kind of makeup. Uh, yeah, from uh, the the fawn in that, yeah, right, that lives yep. in the pit, I believe. Yeah, um, it looked really cool. The visuals were really trippy. I'm very excited for this movie. I'm 100% in because there's a talking fox, too. Yeah, that fox was cool. Which, on first viewing of the trailer, I didn't realize the fox was who was talking. Yeah, no, talking fox was cool. Um, I mean, you can get spoiled on how it ends if you want to go read the poem. I don't think it's very long. <laughs> eh, why would I go do that when they're going to make a movie about it? Yeah. I think I saw there was, like, a Sean Connery version back in, like, the 80s that was apparently very bad. I don't that sounds intriguing i don't know anything about it but i saw someone mention it in the reddit thread that i was reading about this this trailer so i might have to check that out (laughs) oh gosh now i'm gonna go down a rabbit hole when we're done recording um next thing that we have is ebola holmes 2 ebola oh excuse me that's enola holmes my autocorrect changed it on me when we were typing up the outline um but netflix is working more interesting movie it sounds like a, a much better movie if because I did not like the first one of these. I didn't watch it, so I can't speak to it really. I found it to be uh, honestly pretty boring, but also I believe it came out like early on in pandemic, right? So Either people were kind of starved for content. Just before, I don't even know. That could have been too. Yeah. Um, but so Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Campbell are both returning for this, and yeah, people loved it. I can't. I'm not surprised in the slightest they're making another one of these. Yeah, I'm not surprised either. It got good reviews. Uh, I haven't gotten around to wa- watching it, but I probably will eventually. I'm a big... IMDb says 2020. I don't have an exact date, though. So Yeah. For the first one. Um, and I guess I don't even know the release date for this one. Yeah, I didn't I'm, say. I'm a big uh, Sherlock Holmes guy, so any adaption of that i i usually like to check out i just haven't got around to this one if it's good then get sure give it a sequel love to see more work from my boy henry cavill yes big henry cavill fan <clears throat> excuse me uh, it was september 23 that the first one came out so yeah deep in the heart of um people being stuck at home yeah now this piece of hype is a little bit weird and i'm taking it with a grain of salt Don Cheadle reportedly said that Michael Jordan is in Space Jam 2, is in Space Jam 2, quote unquote, but not in the way you'd expect. You think they just animated him? Or there's a cardboard cutout sitting in the corners, (laughs) uh, uh, what's his face's house. That would be funny. I'm down for that. I mean, if if that's what it is, there's going to be so many people that are pissed off, but it's going to make me laugh. Me too, because... I was never really a fan of the first movie. Uh, I like basketball, but I'm not a huge basketball fan. And I came onto it way late because I'm I'm fairly young. I didn't see Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I didn't see Michael Jordan play in his prime. So I don't, I mean, I've seen his highlights. I understand that he's like the greatest of all time, but I don't have that reverence for him that kids who saw him as a hero and saw Space Jam as an extra hero, uh, so if he's just a cardboard cutout in the corner, that would be funny to me. I'm a Looney Tunes fan. That's what drew me in for the first one. What's Gotta up, love Doc? me some Bugs and Lola. <laughs> Lola. Yeah, Lola Bunny. Yeah. Love her. I mean, that love her is maybe a little aggressive. Some people were taking that a little bit too far, it seems, on the internet. But oh, I got some websites for you. 
Oh, yikes. <laughs> Alrighty, so this is the moment that you guys all wait for. We're here to review Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. This is yeah, our 90s uh, blockbuster episode. And Phantom Menace just barely snuck it in there. Released in 1999. Um, originally from the mind of George Lucas himself, regardless of whether or not people wanted to know or wanted more about uh, Star Wars. Um, the synopsis is two Jedi escape a hostile blockade to find allies and come across a young boy who may bring balance to the force, but the long dormant Sith resurface to claim their original glory. Uh, written and directed by George Lucas, starring uh, Ewan McGregor, Liam Neeson, and Natalie Portman, and a whole slew of others. Talk about a bad synopsis. It yeah, totally that... ignores all the taxes and trade federations. The important stuff, Jim. <laughs> it's in the opening crawl. Uh, yeah, I know. And the when when your opening crawl when a, to a movie like this starts with, you know, taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems are in dispute, I mean, you know it's going to be a thrilling movie. So, I, I was only four when this movie came out. Even as a huge Star Wars fan, I, I wasn't seeing it in theaters. I wasn't introduced to it till later on a little bit. I can't imagine how it must have felt to be like a huge Star Wars fan from the 70s and 80s. Wait, <laughs> almost 20 years. And then go sit down in theaters and literally the first thing you see is the opening crawl where it starts with like Trade Federation roots and like taxation. I have a feeling that it didn't happen until like, I don't know, a third of the way through the movie when our good friend Jar Jar shows up that they really would have been alienated. He's the first character they they meet. Jar Jar? Well, He's after they get off the blockade. Is it really only 15 in. minutes? Yeah. And this, I think we had said it on last week's pod, this movie is deceptively long. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at a I, nice crisp runtime of two hours and 16 minutes. I'll call it when we get to it, but there's a part where I'm like, I just paused the movie and there's still an hour left. How is that possible? Is one of my, <laughs> one of my notes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I had multiple of those. I actually watched this in three total sittings because I was taking notes. Yeah. Um, but this is currently available to stream on Disney+. Plus. For those of you who feel the need to watch it, maybe your life is better if you haven't seen it, though. So I don't remember if you guys talked about this on your Empire Strikes Back one. Where where does this rank for you? We don't have to go in all nine or 12, depending on how many we're talking about. But where does this one for you? The, in ranking? This yeah. might be the worst. Uh, no, I hate Last Jedi. This is second to last. Second to the bottom. I agree. But my my actual last is Attack of the Clones. Okay. And I, I mean, I think that between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, they're both pretty low on the listing for me. Um, with Force Awakens, A New Hope, and Empire Strikes Back probably being the top three. I um, like uh, I like Revenge of the Sith. It has redeeming moments. It's still kind of campy and bad, but it's so much better than the other two pre prequels, in my mind. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree that I believe it's the best one. I know that when we did our... Because we did a bracket for the Star Wars movies is what yeah. we did for Empire Strikes Back. And I know Phantom Menace was knocked out in the first round. You know, I, I mean, mean there depending was no on what you put it up there. against, that's not super surprising. It went up against another one from its trilogy. I think uh, Episode 3 is what well, that, knocked that's out. That's fair. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's easy, right? But yeah. then Episode 3, I believe, got knocked out the next round. Yeah. You know, because then it was going up against something from a different trilogy. 
basically what we're saying is even as star wars fans this movie is maybe not great i i think arbitrarily looking at this movie it's not good right like you know it 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 could be so critically acclaimed and star wars fans could hate it because that's kind of the way they are sometimes but no the movie's just bad yeah it has moments though which we will talk about absolutely so as we uh roll in after the opening crawl which we see oh go ahead no matter how many times i watch any of the nine movies whatever when it's a black screen, the yellow Star Wars pops up, and that music hits. I get chills every time, no matter which movie I'm watching. This one maybe oh, not great. I, I still got chills. I I remember sitting in the theater for when um, Rise of Skywalker came out, and knowing that in theory it was supposedly the last time I was going to hear that for a fresh time on a movie. You know, it was. Chilling, yeah, yeah. to say the least, you know, sure. even though lots of people may or may not like that movie, too. Right. Iconic. Anyways, yes. opening crawl. <laughs> now we get into the the film, let's say. Yeah. So we see a ship rolling up to a flying donut that still has the hole in it. Um, I don't hate that, that is, ship design. It does kind of look like a donut, but it's it not absolutely bad. looks like a donut with a bite taken out of it. It's a fine design, though. I, I'm not saying it's a bad design. But uh, we see two hooded figures rolling up. They're asking for to dock on the Trade Federation, Federation ship, and they are apparently ambassadors from the Galactic Senate. Um, they roll up, and two hooded figures exit the ship. Um, we see here they take their hoods down, and they are Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, and Qui-Gon, played by the illustrious Liam Neeson. Hell yeah. Uh, both, we find out, are Jedi, and they are escorted into a conference room because we're going to talk taxes. And then we get who they're meeting with in a separate room. Yes. Newt Gunray. Um, is he the Viceroy or is Newt Gunray number two? I always got it confused. Viceroy Gunray. Okay. And and then number two, because I'm not sure he's given a name. I'm sure he has one. Everyone in Star Wars has a name. But yeah, I, I should not say that when it comes to Star Wars. I don't know it. Um, Newt Gunray's voice is a choice that george lucas made (laughs) and maybe not a great choice it's got some racial undertones that are maybe questionable um yeah i mean (laughs) it 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 feels off color even though he's a big gray alien you know i mean i don't know not the best choice maybe but yeah it it's a choice that probably didn't need to be made he could have sounded like a completely normal english-speaking person like all the other characters (laughs) Mm -hmm. or god Uh, forbid they make up a language like they do for the people on mustafar in episode three or even later in this movie with uh when wato is talking to some of his friends yeah and they're speaking huddies yeah Yeah. so um uh the protocol droid that greeted obi-wan and qui-gon goes to tell the viceroy she's like i think they're jedi and he is not super pleased about this because they're hoping that this blockade they've formed around the planet of Naboo will be deemed legal by the Galactic Senate. Not 100% sure why they've blockaded them, but these ambassadors here are to force them to stop blockading them. They want better tax rates, I think, or something. 
Yes. And they're, they're blocking all trade until they get that treaty signed that would give them those better rates, is my understanding. Yeah, so they're holding the planet hostage to get better tax rates. This that is, is my understanding, yes. Absolutely thrilling. Riveting. So uh, the, the Viceroy decides that they're going to kill the Jedi. Always a good choice. Who tells them to kill the Jedi? Was it Sidious? Did he call him? They, Sidious did get on FaceTime Within the with first five minutes of the prequel trilogy, they blow their load on Sidious. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a spoiler to know, but it's played by Ian McDermott. Um, we'll state his other character he plays when we get there, but it's supposed to be some big old secret that he's not Darth Sidious, but it's kind of obvious from the jump. Even if it wasn't, even if, because in theory, even though it's, trade routes and stuff these are targeted towards children if you did not put together they're the same character if you watch them in the intended order and at the end of episode six the big reveal of the emperor who was behind all of the empire and everything was was sidious himself and then they could have spent the entire prequel trilogy having him in the shadows pulling the strings and stuff which i guess he is doing but they show him via hologram giving orders within the first five minutes. And that just seems like a waste to me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think this scene improves if the Viceroy had taken some initiative himself, Yeah, but he doesn't. So they, they funnel gas into the conference room that uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are in. Um, they hold their breaths for an extended period of time. I'm they sure do. only through their control of the force. Um, battle droids roll up outside the door. Uh, Doors to the room open, and the protocol droid stumbles out. Oh, excuse me, she says. I'm assuming it's a she. That's maybe not the best thing yeah, to assume. She, but I don't hey, think I'm droids terrible. are gendered. But she does have a female. It does have a female voice. So that's <laughs> you just a, called her she too. That's a weird. Droids are weird. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a weird line to tell. Um, but so the battle droids are standing outside, uh, blasters drawn as the protocol droid comes stumbling out, and all of a sudden you just see a blue and green lightsaber both ignite, and they tear through these battle droids. Not a bad scene, honestly. I like the uh, the lightsabers igniting in the smoke. It's a good looking scene. I I think. The way you said that five minutes in, they blew their load on Sidious, you know, now seven minutes in, they blew their load on lightsabers. That's fair. <laughs> That's also fair. It's maybe they could have held off. Yeah. As as a child, fucking cool. Um, so after this, apparently Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan just know where the bridge of this ship is. I mean, they look huge to me. Uh, so they try cutting their way into the bridge where the Viceroy is so that they can talk to him and force him to uh, disband the blockade. The Viceroy closes some really heavy blast doors, and so instead Qui-Gon just shoves his lightsaber into the wall and starts trying to melt it. While this is happening, some roly-poly-looking droids roll up. They're called droidicas. Yeah, they are. And they have, like, three shots on each arm that they can shoot, and they have shields around them. So uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon run away from this and they stole away some battle droid loaded ships. I like the droidicas. They're probably my favorite like common enemy design from the prequels. I would agree. They're the most inventive, that's for sure. Because yep. the the super battle droids that you get in episode two and or three are suck. just way just less thrilling. Big metal dudes and then the, the normal 
the standard battle droids or Roger yeah. Roger. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they just look like people, but they're robots. You know, yeah. obviously facial structure and whatnot isn't there, but they're right. still just bipedal yeah. robots. At the same time here, uh, Queen Amidala, Queen of the Naboo, played by Natalie Portman, uh, FaceTimes the Viceroy to say that uh, she knows the ambassadors are there, but the Viceroy says, oh, no ambassadors showed up here. Mm. Tricky. Also, yeah, is I... it Natalie Portman right now? I believe mm, this is Natalie know. Portman. It's it's hard to tell sometimes because... Uh... She does not actually... Okay, this, this is important, but like, there's a handmaid that is her decoy. Yeah. And... Most films, Natalie Portman would just play both parts and they would use camera tricks. That is not how this movie works. There is a separate actress who plays the decoy or the queen, depending on who's in which body. It's Kiera Knightley. It is Kiera Knightley, which is insane to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Commitment to the craft, I guess. I, I guess. Well, like, I mean. But this is before she got big. Like the chance that both of them look that similar, that they could convincingly play body doubles and did so in this movie as both of them were rising stars, and Kira Knightley has some lines, maybe. I don't know when she's in the costume, when she's not. I legitimately can't tell. Yeah, and she's only she... got a handful of lines, but apparently uh, I was reading some trivia. Kira Knightley's mother showed up to set at apparently a point where they were both done up in the queen makeup, and she couldn't tell which one was her kid. Yeah, it's wild. And then they both became huge superstars later in their careers. Right. Apparently, and this was news to me, uh, in order to make them sound more regal, I know that at least for Natalie Portman, they recorded her lines and then toned down the pitch. So they made it a lower register so that she would sound more queenly because she was only 18 at the time of filming. That's weird. That's Actually missed the premiere so that she could go home to take her high school final exams. That's a classic George Lucas thing to do is like mess with things after the fact to make them better what like cgiing in random aliens in a movie that was perfectly fine exactly or pitching down voice lines apparently yeah like hayden christensen in episode three yeah um so anyways now uh we flash down to the planet of naboo and so the the race of people or the the people there are also called the naboo it's the name of the planet and the name of the people and Queen Amidala is in a conference room and is via hologram talking with Senator Palpatine, who is also played by Ian McDermott. So take from that what you will. Um, and he was assured that the ambassadors would arrive and suddenly the call cuts off. So apparently the the Trade Federation has the power to block out all communication from an entire planet. So off in the woods of naboo it appears that this is not a densely populated planet so there's lots of forests that are truly just unpopulated by anything other than what we'd call animals uh the droid ships from the trade federation are landing and unloading smaller tank-like ships um we see at this point that qui-gon is running away from the ships and sees good old jar jar binks um voiced by ahmed best Qui-Gon is running up to him, Jar Jar is panicking, and so Qui-Gon just tackles him to the ground, and thankfully these ships that are floating away are hovering and do not flatten them. Yay, Jar Jar. Gotta love him. 
And mm-hmm. Qui-Gon slips a snide comment in there very quickly. Uh, Jar Jar says that he's able to speak and therefore he's in, uh, is smart. And Qui-Gon says the ability to speak does not make you intelligent. A useful quote, let's just say. Yes, it could be used, you know, to describe many, many people in your life. So if you need something to use against people, there you go. Um, so Jar Jar now says that he owes Qui-Gon a life debt. Obi-Wan rolls up. He's being chased by a droid on a speeder. Um, Qui-Gon draws his lightsaber to bounce a blaster from the speeder back at that droid and takes him out. Yep. Apparently, I don't know why Obi-Wan didn't do that, but... He's the Padawan learner, man. Apparently he's not that he's, smart. He's basically a Jedi Knight at this point. Yeah, as, as will be revealed when they reach Coruscant. Yeah, this is the end of his training. Yeah. So Jar Jar apparently was banished from Gunga City. That is the safest place on the planet because it's hidden. And that's where all the Gungans, which is the species or race of alien that he is, uh, where they live. So Jar Jar is going to lead them there because uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon basically threaten that all the droids are going to come and hunt down Jar Jar. And he's not very bright. Yeah, that little them playing on his stupidity to get them to bring him to the city is actually kind of good seed. Yeah. It's a little bit funny. It's, it's better comic relief than Jar Jar actually is, mm-hmm. you know, and it's more centered on uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan than it is on him. Right. If he was more the butt of the joke throughout these films, instead of a physical comedy kind of thing, I think it, he would have worked better. Yeah. I, I can agree to that, but I think, on the whole, all of these movies improve if he just didn't exist. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Right. But without him, maybe they never would have found the Gungan city here, which that's, um, that's true. they roll up to a big old lake and apparently Jar Jar can breathe underwater. And uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon pull out some rebreathers, I call them, and they dive into the water. They swim to the bottom of the lake and see huge bubbles filled with light and buildings and whatnot. And this is the underwater Gungan city. Um once they land in the city, Jar Jar is immediately accosted by a guard because they know he's been banished, um, and they don't like outsiders. Uh, Yusa in big doo-doo this time. Uh, the yeah, one I don't know why him. they talk like that. It just seems unnecessary and annoying. Yeah, I, and when when we say these lines from Jar Jar, like the other Gungans, they they don't speak english but they don't speak another language it's all this silly like baby talk and it's dumb it's it was that strange. that portion was clearly targeted for children yeah so they're taken to an audience with the leader of the gungans boss nass he really doesn't want the jedi here um and believes that the city is perfectly hidden and that the droids will be unable to find them um so, but qui-gon argues that uh the gungans and the naboo form a symbiont circle so if the naboo are wiped out then therefore the gungans will get wiped out and i respectfully disagree with the jedi with the green lightsaber i i think that if they were hidden well enough they'd be fine right they don't seem to interact economically or for food or anything like that i don't think they are hidden well enough though oh i i can agree to that we, i mean we see later that they were not that they, they do get found so qui-gon yeah. is correct here well, yeah, I guess that's the good point that, you know, th- they will get found, I think is the better argument. Not that because the Naboo are gone, that you therefore will have problems. Um, guess, yeah. 
So Qui-Gon eventually uses a force mind trick to get Boss Nass to give them an underwater speeder. And apparently the quickest way to get to the capital city of Naboo is, of course, to uh, swim through the, not swim through, but to speed through the core of the planet, which is filled with water. So that's, you know, normal. Yeah, it's helpful for that. Yeah. So I feel like the design of the, the underwater speeder, it's a cool ship. Yeah, it's sweet. It looks almost like like a leaf with a tail. Yeah. Um and and it's very aerodynamic, hydrodynamic one may say. <laughs> yeah. Um cuz it is like an underwater ship. Uh it's at this point that Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon turn to leave, and Qui-Gon of course turns around and asks what's going to happen to Jar Jar. And he's apparently going to be punished. Not punished. I did not misspeak. I, yes, I I, <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> um and Qui-Gon decides to call in Jar Jar's life debt. So Boss Nass allows him to go with them. Good guy, Qui-Gon. Yeah, always looking out for those uh, useless life forms, I believe, as Obi-Wan calls them. Yep. Um, so as they're blasting away from the city, um, a, a big fish pulls out and starts to follow them. It, it's equivalent to the size of the ship itself. And very suddenly, um, a larger, like, dinosaur-looking fish, whose head is the size of the other fish, comes up and just bites onto this original fish and Say tears the line, its head Jim. off. Say the line. I, I don't... Which line are you talking about? There's always a bigger fish. Oh. I thought you were going to say, big uba fish. Oh, well, Jar Jar says that one. Yeah. yeah. But because Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan don't seem concerned at all when the first fish is there and then the bigger fish comes and eats it. And then Qui-Gon says, there's always a bigger fish implying yes. that he knew that was going to happen. I don't really, it's a strange scene, which I remembered and I always thought it was strange. What I did not remember is what happens next, which is basically a repeat of the exact same scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this this whole like swimming around thing goes on way too long because now they they're losing power in a little cave, and, and Obi Wan hotwires the speeder because that's the solution. And a fish chases them again, which gets eaten by a bigger fish again. I feel like it's the same dinosaur looking fish. It's very similar. I couldn't tell you but the fact that it happens twice within a couple minutes of like the same scene is so weird right so now we get a very short scene of the trade federation bridge um darth sidious is laying making claim that he has some control over the senate and the viceroy are just saying like okay well get the job done make this blockade legal as they cut off the phone call the one number two asks uh the viceroy the leader uh why he didn't tell him anything about the jedi and just said no need to report that to him until we have something to report so darth sidious is unaware we believe that the jedi have survived or gotten away it's at this point that now uh they make their way through the planet core and yeah they they basically just pop up along the side of the Naboo capital, right? And then we move on. Um, yep. Outside in the plains around the capital city, the droids are, uh, the droid tanks are like rolling up into the capital city and starting to invade. 
um, the Viceroy is now in the city. They've landed in the meantime and is going to make the Queen sign a treaty that says the, the occupation of the planet is legitimate. So it's no longer illegal because she agreed to it. Um, the Queen and her posse, I'll say, are being walked to an internment camp or some sort of camp. Um, and they're way out in the open as Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon jump down from a bridge over a little alley and take out all the droids holding them. What, what does Obi-Wan do? What's his move? Do you remember? I don't remember what the he move does is. He does the splits in the air and kicks two droids in the head. <sighs> and I then... do remember that also they, they take out at least two droids here just by knocking them over with the force nothing more just knocking them over there's also that but as they jump down to like save everybody obi-wan's first move as they're falling is to like do the splits in the air and kick two droids that's pretty badass and then uh because the next scene right is that once they they get the the queen and all her her posse they they go to the hangar to steal a ship right there are more droids which they first try to convince that they're supposed to be there but then the Mm -hmm. droids figure it out and before drawing his lightsaber, Obi-Wan jumps in the air and does the splits and kicks two droids <laughs> in the head. He does the same move twice, and I kind of loved it. It was such a dumb move. Apparently it's his go-to, you know? He wants to show off to the lady Jedi how flexible he is. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, Liam Neeson was a, a catch back in the 90s, I think. Oh, for sure. So apparently, now that they've loaded onto a ship in the hangar, they're going to head for Coruscant. Is it Coruscant or Coruscant? Coruscant. The first one. I've, I say it both ways all the time. But so Coruscant is the capital of the entire uh, Galactic Republic. Yep. And it is a city that spans an entire planet. So there's yep. no like forest or anything like that. It's one big city. Um, as they're leaving, some of the... Uh, Trade Federation ships are firing on the the. It's a Nubian ship, is what it's called, I believe. Yep, it looks cool too. It's a it's like a Nubian Naboo cruiser. It's a, yeah, it's a cool ship design. And it's like chrome all over, and it's awesome. It's super sleek. Um, we see at this point Jar Jar is in a lower hold where there's a bunch of R two units along the walls. Um. And as they're being fired on, some of these R2s are sent out onto the hull of the ship as it's flying to repair things. And we see our good old white and blue buddy, R2-D2. This movie and can't go five minutes without introducing or referencing something from the original trilogy. Well, you have to. Because uh, otherwise, what's going to tie you into this other than just knowing it's in the same universe? This was before shared yep. universes were like a thing. The important characters like obi-wan and anakin whose story this is i mean fine obi-wan but what is the problem with r2 just have being leia's droid in new Hope? no i i have no problem with that i think it probably would have been an improvement because it explains yeah. away why obi-wan didn't know about the droid in a new hope yeah but literally every single thing has to be a reference to something Right so, right, so we get R2 saving the day here and becoming part of the team. Right, so all of the other droids get shot off the side of the hull, but R2-D2 is able to reroute power to their shields and save the ship. Uh, R2-D2 played by Kenny Baker because, yes, there was someone inside of that droid. I respect that. Yeah, that's commitment to the craft. 
Um, they realize that they're leaking fuel and are not going to make it all the way back to Coruscant. So uh, Qui-Gon suggests that they stop at, or no, Obi-Wan, excuse me, suggests that they stop at this little backwater desert planet called Tatooine. Of course, mm-hmm. got to get us back to the places we know and love. Um, and apparently uh, Captain Panaka, who is the queen's head of security, doesn't want to stop there because it's controlled by the Huts, who are gangsters. And we all know, of course, our good friend Jabba the Hutt. Um, so, but Qui-Gon argues that because it's not controlled by the Trade Federation, that therefore it's better off because the Huts are not looking for the Queen. So now we get another scene of, uh, the Viceroy FaceTiming with Darth Sidious. He's wondering why the Queen hasn't signed the treaty and is going to be sending Darth Maul to join them, played by Ray Park. The Viceroy are freaked out because now there's two Sith and they didn't realize that there would ever be more than one. Oh, there's and two of them. yes to to say that darth maul looks fucking badass i think is an understatement he's so wasted in this movie not to get ahead of myself uh oh wasted as in terms of like he's not used to his fullest potential yes i thought you were gonna spill some tea about the actor being a drunk or something oh no i'm I'm glad that's not the case (laughs) ray park rules uh (laughs) but yeah no they, they waste his potential in this movie they don't use him enough uh which again, people should watch Clone Wars. Yeah, because he shows back up. He has a major character arc throughout that television show. Which, if you haven't connected all the dots by the time you're done with this movie, that's a major spoiler that he shows back up in Clone Wars. And you'll understand why eh, in a while. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any guessing about it. But yeah. We'll discuss when we get there. So back on the Nubian ship, um, Captain Panaka is like pre- presenting R2-D2 as some sort of hero. And at this point, I think it's the fake queen. Kiera Knightley is uh, commending the I think for sure the they droid. have switched at this point. Yeah, because I think you can see Natalie Portman off as one of the handmaidens off to the side. Yeah. So short, uh, the qu- fake queen orders real queen who's masquerading as a handmaiden to go down into the hold and clean up the droid and thank it for its service um so padme again also known as queen amidala uh sees jar jar down in the hold again and starts talking with him um asking how he got there and jar jar spouts off more nonsense about how he doesn't even know how he ended up in space mm-hmm. um as they land on tatooine they realize that they need a new hyperdrive generator which is a big old part that's going to make them fly um and they're worried that they're not going to be able to find it here i know the, the, and i'll say it now there's a lot of wasted time it feels like in some of this movie, like bouncing back and forth, you know, I, I feel as though not much has happened, but we've been talking about this for quite a while. Right. So, so let's keep moving that. So the, they land on Tatooine and a group is going to go in and look for these parts, but a group is also staying behind. Do you see right. where I'm going with this? Obi-Wan stays at the ship. Mm-hmm. And this brings me to a big question I have for you, Jim. Who's the main character of this movie? 
Well, you can't say Anakin because he's because he's only not just introduced about to show yet, up and now. we're like an hour in. Obi Wan stays on the ship here and it's has certainly no not character the queen. Certainly not the queen. So I, is it Qui Gon? But he is the old wise one who doesn't really have character development. He's just kind of there. Well, right, and his arc ends at the end of the movie. I, I get so. I guess it's Qui Gon. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense because, like you said, his character doesn't grow, change, or learn in any way. You know, not really. Hmm. That's which, definitely an interesting conundrum. But he—he's one of the movie, least exciting possible characters because he's not going to do anything. This movie misses a huge potential by leaving Obi Wan on the ship. If you make this Obi Wan's movie, starting that relationship with young Anakin and starting that that bond now that brotherly bond that we see grow in attack of the clones clone wars and revenge of the sith before mm-hmm. that final confrontation uh when anakin becomes vader and you get the famous you were my brother anakin line if you start that now instead of leaving obi-wan on the ship i think there's a potential for these movies to get a lot better well the, the end fight in Revenge of the Sith then would just hit so much harder. Right. And like it already hits hard enough, especially if you watch Clone Wars because a lot of that relationship is fleshed out mm-hmm. there. Um but like Obi-Wan stays on the ship here and doesn't meet Anakin till like the last little bit and then they have basically zero scenes together because we're already in the climax of the movie and there's no time. Right. And his response to him early on when they first meet is that Obi-Wan doesn't really care for him, doesn't want him there. Right. So so that's just the big, big point I wanted to bring up here as Qui-Gon, Jar Jar, and uh, Padme leave, leaving Obi-Wan and the rest on the ship. Yeah, it, it definitely hurts his character development. And you make a really good point because Qui-Gon ends up being the de facto main character, but it's all kind of undercut because he doesn't actually change who he is. He's already the best version of himself right? for the most part, right? It sounds as though... He's a Jedi he... Master. I guess he like kind of comes to respect Anakin as the quote-unquote chosen one, but... Yeah, yeah, and I guess you can take from that what you will because, I mean, it's like... It, it's this prophecy that not even the Jedi seem to believe. Yeah, Qui-Gon's this weird, like, uh, he he's kind of a they allude to it here there's more in like books and stuff about how he's kind of like a a weird offshoot of the jedi who believes in some like these prophecies and is a little bit different compared to the rest of the council right um so it's at this point that that just adds to his predisposition that just adds to his predisposition to believe these prophecies and believe anakin's the chosen one which undercuts his growth here even more Right, yeah, so it's it's not even like him taking a leap of faith to believe in this prophecy because he already believed it. Right. So it's at this point that we roll into t- a town. It's not described what town. Um, uh, so we have Padme, Jar Jar, and Qui-Gon. I think Say it's Mos Espa. Sure. The only one I know about is uh, Mos Eisley. Yeah, and that's the one in uh, in New Hope. Correct. Um. Jar Jar steps in shit here as they're walking into town from some camel-looking alien. He does. Ha ha, funny poop joke. He's gotta be the the physical comedy. It's and, not funny, it's just stupid. Oh, it is stupid. Um, Qui-Gon picks a random, like, junk dealer, so to speak, 
and walks in and we get introduced to Watto, who is a blue flying alien with stunted legs and a big beer belly. He's um, a Toydarian. Yes. Uh, played or voiced by Andy Saccombe. And we get introduced to Anakin Skywalker, played by Jake Lloyd. Yes. Watto um, is doing another questionable accent, just to call it out. <laughs> I Yes. <laughs> Um, i've never really thought about it because i've always thought of them first as aliens but you're you're not wrong that there are stereotypes to the accents that were used definitely um and then what is anakin's first line are you an angel oh yeah (laughs) what a ridiculous line he asks padme if she's an angel and then he explains it like some of the the space traders say that they've seen beautiful women when they were out on other planets and call them angels, which, but the way he says it without any prompting. And that's his first line of the movie when he's like, he's the core of this trilogy. He's supposed to be his journey towards becoming Darth Vader is, are you an angel is so weird. Well, and it's knowing the age gap between Anakin and Padme sets up the fact that they get together later makes it more uncomfortable that he was apparently had the hots for her from minute one. Right. And that's, uh, so their difference is only supposed to be in star Wars canon four or five years. That's it. Yes. But the actor's age differences are much more than that. And it reads very, it doesn't read as four as five years. It reads as like, nine ten years yeah yeah i that is wild to me i didn't realize they were supposedly supposed to be that close in age yeah padme is described as like a child queen she's supposed to be like 15 and he's supposed to be like 10 oh my gosh that's strange yeah well and because especially in this movie she plays as a late teenager someone who's 18 years old you know i mean yeah which makes sense for most people considering who they would normally think would be a queen Um, and additionally, it's weird because this is one of the strange instances where they had a movie and then someone writes a novelization of it. So like the fact that they would have then chosen her to be 15 after the movie came out and she clearly wasn't canonically, she is 14. Yeah, that's weird to me. I don't know why you would ever make that choice because someone at Lucasfilm had to sign off on the book. I know that there are like if you create a character in one of the novelizations, you're allowed to kill that character off yourself because there's obviously offshoot and sequel books that are not yep. made into movies. But like, if you want to kill off someone else's character, you need to like get the permission of Lucasfilm and the person who created the character before you're allowed to create, kill them off. Yeah. You know, I think this was, this is a George Lucas choice, not like a writer of the book choice. This is right. like actual star Wars. She's supposed to be, I just looked it up in Canon. She is 14 and he is nine. Yeah, that's weird to choose actors of such starkly different ages then. But um, Qui-Gon is trying to uh, dicker with Watto. They go out into the yard and uh, Qui-Gon is trying to pay with Republic credits. But Watto is unwilling to accept that because they work on a different form of currency out there. Um, He wants cash only. And so Qui-Gon tries to mind trick him, but apparently it doesn't work on Troidarians. Correct. This is, there's, there's some stuff I'm missing the, uh, in the Clone Wars as well. There's an arc with the Troidarians. Oh, really? They have, they have a king who's very weird. Very weird. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't even know how to explain him, but they're, 
both the Jedi and the Sith in Clone Wars try to use Jedi mind tricks on the Trandarians, hmm. and it never works. That sounds like fun. But it's at this point that Qui-Gon just kind of walks out, and Watto is saying, you know, nobody else is going to have a T-14 hyperdrive. I can promise you that. Um, as they leave, um, Padme and Anakin share a parting glance, and she says, I was mad. I was glad to meet you, Anakin. Yeah, she was. Um, super quick scene. They don't have enough items on the ship to barter with to get the items they need. Um, and now they're flashback to town. Qui-Gon and company are walking around and Jar Jar uses his like long, you know, chameleon tongue or iguana tongue, whichever one spits it out to eat a small roasted alien hanging from a string at a stall. He, he has it in his mouth as the vendor is trying to force him to pay for it. And so he spits it out. It flies off the string and into the soup of a weird alien whose arms stick down. And that's what he uses to walk. And his legs, which are physically below his arms, stick up above his head. And that is what he uses to operate arm functions named Sebulba. Yep. Um, they get into a little fight, I guess. Kind of. Yeah, he comes over and pushes uh, Jar Jar to the ground until Anakin shows up and uh, says, this guy's a big time outlander. I wouldn't kill him, you know, because he'll do bad things to you. Yeah, this is just an excuse to introduce Sebulba being a dick before the eventual pod race. Right. It's not not that important of a scene. It's kind of weird. It's just Jar Jar being Jar Jar. Yeah. Because yeah, you don't even really need this scene because there's enough interaction later with Sebulba that you know he's an ass. Yeah, they could have um, just later they say Sebulba wins all the races. They could have just dropped that line and then the, in the pre-race stuff, like shown him being a dick. They wouldn't have needed this whole fight. Right. It, however, it also does reconnect Anakin with them after they've left him because that's true. as we can that's see, true. a dust storm is rolling in, and the ship out on the outskirts of town is receiving a message from Naboo. But we all know that their communications have been blocked out. Um, Anakin gives Qui-Gon some fruit and then says, you guys can come stay at my house until the, the storm blows over. Uh, yeah. they sh Oh, go ahead. No, just that's it's just exposition or just moving the plot forward. Hey, come stay at my house. So we right. Can exactly. Get to know each other. You want to know what we get next? Uh, we get C-3PO and R2 meeting. Yeah, the introduction of yet another beloved character. Um, so they roll in and C-3PO is laying uh, uh, in Anakin's back room. And he's completely naked, so to speak. He doesn't have his gold co coverings like we're used to. He's just wires and exposed metal. Um, Anakin pops his eye in. Or no, he, he turns him on. C-3PO can't see everybody so he asks where everyone is and then anakin pops in his other eye and now he's able to see yep and then there's this whole big drawn out scene where the the camera pans out to get both of them in frame r2d2 and c3po roll up to each other basically shake hands and c3po goes <laughs> nice to meet you r2d2 i'm c3po human cyborg relations and this is also when R2-D2 informs him that c3po is naked yes but the, the whole meeting is so on the nose like, it's contrived yeah L let something breathe for god's sake <laughs> so now we flash back to uh the ship on the outskirts of town for a moment and the governor of naboo so underneath the queen apparently is a governor 
Um, I think he's his saying, name, I think oh, I remember his, his name. What is I'm it? I'm pretty sure that is C.O. Bibble. <laughs> what a great Star Wars name. Anyways, oh carry God. on. <laughs> um, so C.O. Bibble calls up and says that uh, there's catatro- catastrophic death toll and to contact him immediately. It's pretty obvious that they're trying to get a track on the communication and want to try and get the queen to call up the governor. Yeah, and Obi-Wan catches it immediately. Yeah, so yeah, he says, it's, it's don't not even call really him a back. problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we flash to Coruscant quickly here, and Darth Sidious and Darth Maul are having a little walk and talk. Apparently, the a trace was still completed, anyways even though it's never seen that they ever called them back or revealed that they did call him back. Oh yeah. How does Maul find him? Whatever. It just says that the trace was successful. So in this very okay. next scene, they now know what planet he's on. Um, so Darth Maul is going to head to Tatooine to get the queen and take her back to Naboo. Back in Anakin's home, we get, uh, we, we realize or are informed that, Anakin and his mother Shmi, played by Pernilla August, are apparently slaves, and they're both owned by Watto. Um, and it's commonplace at pod races, you know, these high-stakes, high-speed races in town, for people to gamble their slaves on these races. Um, and that's how they ended up getting passed to Watto. Someone gambled them and they lost. Yep. Um, oh, go ahead. Uh, there is a quick scene here where Anakin realizes that Qui-Gon's a Jedi and asks mm-hmm. him about it. And Anakin Skywalker, the future Darth Vader, says the line, no one can kill a Jedi. Just a little bit of irony there. Yeah, seeing as he yeah. kills, you know, kind of a, a lot of them. Oh, oh but they're uh, younglings. It doesn't count. He kills some adults as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Lots of them. <laughs> He's not a good guy. Oh, no. Anyways. <laughs> Well, and, and Qui-Gon replies with, I wish that were so, you know, yes, he, he, he just... doesn't hold himself up as like some unkillable person, but right. Anakin immediately then asks if uh, Qui-Gon is there to free them, right? you know, not to put any pressure on you, but that's what we're hoping for here. Um, and then Qui-Gon and Padme explain how they're stranded and trying to get to Coruscant. Um, and Shmi says that all of the junk dealers have this weakness for gambling and Anakin says there's a big race tomorrow of all days, and he has a pod that he can enter. That's very convenient. Both of those things. Right. The I mean, because Eve classic. They, they can't be stranded here for too long, right? That's the thing. Right. Even though it feels like they're there for forever and oh, yeah, multiple the largest days. Chunk too. Of the movie. Yeah. It's, um, it's only two days. Yeah, I know, but it feels forever. One night. <laughs> <laughs> well, because. Shortly here, we're going to get a scene, uh, or right now we're going to get a scene. Qui-Gon and Padme go back to Watto. They're going to wager the ship um, again, against Watto. Like, so if they lose, they lose the ship. But if they win, they get the parts that they need to repair the ship. Um, yep. And then we still have another scene where Anakin is, like, tuning up the pod, getting it ready. Uh, we get the evening scene, which I kind of already thought it was, you know, not paying right. attention to the timeline, where he gets tested for his midi-chlorians, and then finally the race the next day. And I don't know where the dust storm went. Uh, apparently it moved on. And they still didn't want to go back to the ship. Yes, apparently not. 
But so, I mean, that's kind of the gist of what we have going on here. So now we're moving on to a scene where Anakin is tuning up his pod racer at home. We get more physical comedy from Jar Jar because the way these pods are set up is there. it's almost like a chariot with two horses. And the horses are engines connected by a beam of energy out in front. He gets um, his tongue in it. Yeah. Anakin says, if you get your hand in there, it'll be numb for hours. But of course, Jar Jar leans down and gets his whole face in it. Yeah. And now he can't somehow his gets his, his hand stuck in the turbine also. Right. So as Anakin is just about to power things up, Padme has to go and get his hand out so that he doesn't get spun or lose his goddamn arm in the thing. As it starts powering up, Anakin shouts, it's working. It's working. That evening, Qui-Gon takes a blood sample from Anakin. Um, there, there's one scene before that with Qui-Gon and Anakin's mom talking about anakin's oh his birth oh my god dad? that's so important yeah anakin Which doesn't have won't. a dad no anakin is literally jesus christ <laughs> he was immaculately conceived Dude, can i get into some weird star wars stuff here yeah uh, please so there's a fan theory based on this scene and a scene in episode three if you recall, there's a scene in episode three where Palpatine is talking to Anakin, telling him about his former Sith master, Darth Plagueis the Wise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he says he became so powerful with the dark side of the Force that he could create life. And then uh, Palpatine looks slowly over to Anakin. That's a big implication, the way you say it. Based on... The scene we just talked about and this scene from episode three, there is a fan theory that somehow Palpatine used these dark side powers to create Anakin and have him be born. Yeah, and he just didn't know where in the galaxy he was going to be or he had enough forethought right. that he knew their lives would connect anyways. I, right. It's I'm a, a big fan theory. of this theory. It. The creators have kind of pushed back on it a little bit, but not outright said no. It's a wild theory that Telpatine... There's like a lesser theory that he was just doing this to all kinds of kids hoping to create a chosen one, but that seems weird too. Uh, I think that makes it even better. that There's like random women popping up pregnant all over the place just because uh, Darth Sidious is trying to farm the perfect shadow on. Force lightning out there. (laughs) oh do we think that's how it happened because that sounds painful (laughs) i have no idea but yeah that's that's an interesting theory that comes out of the scene where technically palpatine would be uh anakin's father via weird dark side powers let's take this a step further so darth sidious is anakin's father not biologically but but yeah. yeah so we also find out that eventually Ray is Palpatine or Darth Sidious's granddaughter. Correct. So therefore, when she says at the end of episode nine, I'm Ray Skywalker, she's not wrong. Boom. She also kissed her c- cousin. Yes. <laughs> okay. Makes it weird, but I like it. I like it. I mean, Luke and Leia kissed also. So. I mean, yeah, but they didn't know. I mean, I guess. She knew at that point she was a Palpatine, but she didn't know about all this other baloney. Right. This is my canon. I'm taking it, period. 
But so it's at this point that we get an evening scene on Tatooine. Qui-Gon is uh, taking a blood sample from Anakin and apparently checking for these fake midi-chlorians, not fake, in in terms of the universe they exist, but these particles called midi-chlorians. They're in all life forms and they dictate how strongly you have a connection to the Force, it seems. Anakin's reading is off the chart. It's over 20,000 parts and no Jedi, not even Yoda, because they got a name drop him before they reveal him in a few minutes, uh, has a count that high. Yeah, which is Yoda's midichlorian count, just public knowledge. That seems weird. Apparently amongst the Jedi. Okay. But they also Um, have archives, and I would assume that, you know, they're... The arguments of some of the Sith sometimes are that the Jedi like to hide knowledge that they don't want people to know, right? Like the creation of life or saving people from death and so on. Um, So I guess I could see an argument that would support that saying that they wouldn't make this information available, but I don't know. Apparently Yoda was Qui-Gon's master, right? So... Uh, No. No? Yoda does teach all the younglings, so he probably did have quite a bit of contact with him before he was an actual paddle on. Uh, but canonically, Count Dooku, before he turns to the dark side, is Qui-Gon's master. Really? Yes. Okay, because I guess maybe that's I, that would be my explanation for how they know, or knew, is because, you know, Yoda maybe told Qui-Gon, but I guess not. Yeah, I, all the midichlorian stuff I just kind of brush off. It's whatever. Try not to think about it because it's kind of weird. Yep. And it only gets mentioned like one or two other times in the entire series. I, mostly in this movie specifically yeah i think they drop it one more time in uh attack of the clones and then i think i don't the word might have got dropped just in out of context in mandalorian yeah that was that's, that's about me, it I guess. that's about it so now out in the desert we see darth maul has landed his ship and releases some droids out to various settlements he can see does so the, the the probe droids, mm-hmm. they're just kind of buzzing around all the cities, right? Mm-hmm. This is a hut planet. Most of these people are criminals or slaves or whatever. And wouldn't take too kindly to a surveillance droid of some sort? That was my thought, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I like the argument, you know, and I like poking holes in this movie because it's not great. But I, I have fun poking holes in movies. <laughs> So now it's the next morning of the pod race. Watto is being cocky as hell. Um, he claims that he always wagers all of his money on Sebulba. Um, so Qui-Gon is saying, why don't we up the wager? I wager that Sebulba will lose and that Anakin will win. And for that, I would like you to free both Anakin and Shmi. Watto's un- not willing to take that deal. He says uh, no pod race is worth two, two slaves. Or, it, excuse me, Qui-Gon wagers the the pod that Anakin is racing in against the, the slaves. Yep. Um, it's at this point that Watto pulls out a red and blue die. die no, and what does he call it? A chance cube. Why does it have to be a different word? I don't die know. I was hoping you weren't a... going to have to make me explain it because it's, it's stupid. It's not a proper noun. Why does George have to change every word? Anyway. <laughs> The so, chance cube. so he rolls the chance cube that is red on three sides and blue on the other three. Blue for the boy, red for the mother. And Qui-Gon, of course, uses the force to make it land up blue. You know, not sure why uh, Watto is surprised by this because he calls him out on doing the mind trick thing when they were 
first negotiating. Yeah, he doesn't uh, seem to notice here, though. He gets pissed that it lands on Anakin, but he doesn't seem to claim that he doesn't make she, a connection. Cheated. Yeah, yeah. So it's at this point that Padme, Anakin, and one of Anakin's little friends are off by the pod, and it's revealed that Anakin has raced before, but he's never won. Not or not only has he never won, he's never finished a race before. Oh, and Padme, kids. who's been a big naysayer of this plan, gets a little bit annoyed. Yeah. Um. And I don't know. At this point, we get to see a lot of neat aliens, some of which were added in when they re-release these movies and were unnecessary as the pods roll out onto the track. Um. Padme is trying to get under Qui-Gon's skin or trying to tell him off, you know, because he's like, the queen wouldn't appreciate this plan. And Qui-Gon says back to her, the queen trusts my judgment. So should you, you know, and you can, you can take your guess one way or another, whether he used the force to know that that's the queen or whether or not he truly didn't. And either way, I think it's okay. The two headed race announcer is kind of funny. Yeah, he's fun. He's a unique character too. You yeah. know, you don't get too many multi-headed aliens. And the the one speaks uh, Huttese and the one speaks English, which is yeah. interesting. But the different heads, I like that. Uh, getting ready for the race, a weird alien animal farts in Jar Jar's face. Uh-huh. Oh, of course. We just love all these little interactions with Jar Jar. That's so great. Um, yeah. So as they're out on the starting line, Sebulba walks up to Anakin and is talking to him. But before he does this, he like breaks a little chunk off of one of An- Anakin's like turbine engines. It's going to matter impl- later. Is it implied that he does this often? Like he seems to cheat throughout this race, which I know it's it's like a brutal race where people die and it's nothing's really against the rules. But, like, sabotaging someone else's pod before the race seems like it should be a big deal. And everyone has so much money on this race, and it's like a hot planet. I feel like cheating would be, again, frowned upon. Right. And I think, for whatever reason, he hasn't been caught. But I do believe he's a habitual cheater. Yeah. You know, and that's why he so consistently wins. That's why so many people bet on him all the time. But also, if he's always winning, why would people bet against him? Right. And so, who's, yeah, yeah, who's taking the bets against them? Yeah, and I guess, I don't know, because it's not like a horse race where you're betting against the house. It's like side bets against other people. Right, and if you are betting against the house, what would you place the odds at Sebulbon if he literally always wins? Like, you can't right. be, otherwise you're going to lose all your money. Yeah, exactly. And even if you pay out extra and, like, you pay out... 101 percent for what people put in you know if everyone bets on sabalba and he wins then you still You're lose still money. all your money yeah. yeah exactly so if you have a guaranteed winner it ruins the whole game you know so i have to assume that were he caught cheat were he to be caught cheating he would be punished anyways but the race so starts yes which I, I really like the way it starts. So Jabba the Hutt rolls up on a balcony, kind of welcomes everyone in hoodies. Uh, but to start the race, he grabs a little like alien thing in his hand, bites the head off and spits it into a gong. I like that. That's good Jabba. This, Jabba is a good reference to the original trilogy. He's not a main part of the movie. He's not like doing crime shit with Qui-Gon. He's not like chasing them with bounty hunters or something. He's not 
shoehorned. He's in the background because, as we know, he lives on Tatooine from the original trilogy, and he's kind of a big deal there. Having him just be in charge of the race, just kind of chilling, watching watching some gambling stuff, that makes sense to me. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I think the the problem with Jabba in this movie is when they redid him in CGI instead of being the puppet. Yeah, he, he maybe doesn't look amazing. Right, because if it's not clear to people who aren't Star Wars fans... The original trilogy came out in the 70s and 80s, and these came out in the mid to late or the late 90s, early 2000s. CGI technology has come a long way since then, but when all six of these were re-released in the late 2000s or so, George Lucas went back in and did a lot of questionable things, adding in random aliens, CGIing characters that used to be puppets. In this movie specifically, Yoda was originally a puppet, and it's not always good. Specifically, Jabba in this movie looks atrocious yeah. um, when they redid him. But so the race starts and Anakin stalls on the start line. Um, he, it, I describe it as he didn't put the pod in gear, you know, because well, no, it, it's because of that thing Sebulba did. See, now I thought that came up later when he when his pod catches on fire. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I, I guess I, you could read it multiple ways, I suppose. Yeah, because the solution finally was that all he had to do was push this one handle forward and all of a sudden he takes off. So Anakin is in last place other than one other guy who's stranded on the start line. Instead of He having also a, has a canonical name. Let's hear it. That is Ben Quadraneros. <laughs> of course, his first name is just Ben. <laughs> um, but so he has four like turbine engine things he loses the beam between them and all of a sudden each engine just goes off in a different direction and explodes yes so i i like that i he was in the original cut of the movie and i i actually really like this that is good comedic effect how about how maybe these machines don't always function quite the way you plan yeah so as anakin is rolling out he's very quickly overtaking some of the back of the pack um, and there's a few specific sections of this track. First, there's a narrow gorge. Then there is like a cave or canyon. Then finally, just like a straightaway or desert area back to the finish line. Right. No major yep. sections. I forgot. I so, so the, the, the race is awesome. It's super cool. Yeah. And in surround sound, which is the only way to watch this portion of the movie, it's amazing, you know, with all the pods flying past you all the time. They all have different, like, sounds because they're using different engines. It, it's it's just a really cool action sequence. I loved it as a kid. I still think it's pretty good now. The video yeah. game based around it was awesome as a kid. Uh, it's It might be a high point of this movie. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the probably the actual high point, but it's it's probably one of two high points of this movie. Yeah, so the pod race goes relatively quick, but the main talking points are that along one of, or after they come out of the cave the first time, there's Tusken Raiders trying to shoot at people along the ridge because you got to get your sand people in there, but they don't actually stop anyone from doing anything. So Bulba maybe is... Maybe one. Oh, one, really? Like, not important character. But... Yeah, so Bulba is out in the lead from the get-go and is habitually cheating. He's tossing, like screwdrivers out of his pod in other people's engines pinpoint casually tosses it behind him and pinpoints into this like guy's thruster and blows up his whole pod 
Right. So it, it seems as though he is a habitual cheater. I'll take this as proof enough. Um, eventually, uh, Anakin does start to catch up to him. And at one point, they're the only two racers left. Um, yep. But Anakin's pod starts on fire because I thought like that filter or knob thing that Sebulba broke off, that's where the fire was. Yeah. Um, so there's like a weird sequence of him hitting a bunch of dials and there's like a screen of like coolant going different levels. And then yeah. eventually it all lines up and turns green and he goes fast again. Yeah. Well, and the fire like magically goes out. I'm assuming we're going to take the explanation is that Anakin somehow used the force to put out the fire. Sure. Um. He catches up to Sebulba, and Sebulba tries smashing his pod against Anakin's and gets a little, like, portion of his thing hooked on, a portion of the pod. As they're trying to separate, because now they're stuck together, Sebulba eventually does, but it causes a portion of his pod to break off, so now he loses his engines and is stranded. But somehow Sebulba just kind of glides to a stop, and it's fine. Because we can't have Anakin be a murderer. Dot, dot, dot. Yet. <laughs> I like that. He wouldn't have been a murderer. I mean, you know, he, he's... Fair enough. You know, it's not his fault that Sebulba tried crashing into him. But so Anakin eventually goes on, uh, crosses the finish line, and wins the race. Um, yep. It's cool. at this point this that... Is where, this is where, I think I mentioned this earlier, I don't know if that was before or after we actually started recording, but I paused the movie here after the race, and I was like, oh, we, we got like... 20 minutes left there's only a few things left i pause the the movie after this race ends and there's an hour of this film left it's yeah there is a lot of boring shit in this movie yeah okay so now we we have the the uh the uh, the race ends and we have the fallout of all the bets and stuff right so qui-gon goes to confront watto who immediately tries to say that Anakin's not free and that that wasn't a fair bet. He doesn't care about the ship parts, it seems, just cares about losing his slave. Um, well, go ahead. If, if we want to kind of, I don't know if it's a spoiler, these movies are 20 years old and everyone kind of knows Star Wars, who cares about it? So there's, in Attack of the Clones, when Anakin and Padme go back to uh, Mos Espa, they see Watto and he's kind of down on his luck. Mm-hmm. There's an implication here that because... Anakin is just so gifted at fixing droids and piloting things and repairing ships that Anakin is kind of the reason Watto is so successful at his shop. Right. Um, Anakin's the moneymaker. Right. So losing Anakin is a bigger deal than you would think than for someone to lose a nine-year-old kid slave. Right. And that, that connection is pretty loose, right? It's never outright stated because... Until you said that, I never would have made that connection. But I think it is in the subtext. I don't think that's fans reading into it too much. Like, Watto is very upset to lose Anakin here. And then we see him kind of poor in the next movie. Right. Um, and that and that's me not picking up on the subtext. I'm yeah, not no, saying I, that I, I don't, anyone's I don't reading think anything it's super into it. clear, but I, I think it is there. And it's an interesting thing to call out. Yeah. So it's at this point that Qui-Gon takes Padme back to the ship um, and they're loading up like the ship parts that they need. And Qui-Gon says he's got to go back to town for something, tells Obi-Wan. And this is where Obi-Wan says, why do I get the feeling we've picked up another useless life form? I don't know why they didn't just bring Anakin along right away. Like, I why, why would you the hell leave out of me. 
go back, but okay. Yeah, especially because when they say that they were on the outskirts of town, it appears more so that they are in the middle of buttfuck nowhere. You know, the explanation is for the plot, so it's just Anakin and Qui Gon in the desert when Maul shows up in the next scene. Well, yeah. So so Qui Gon goes back to pick up Anakin. Uh, apparently, they walk into Anakin's home and they sold the pod racer, so they leave this a whole pile of money with um with Shmi. And this is when Qui-Gon kind of reveals in a lackluster fashion that Anakin has been freed. Um, Shmi asks if he'll be trained to be a Jedi, and Qui-Gon says, of course. Our meeting, hi- our meeting him was no coincidence. Nothing happens by accident. Um, of course. Anakin first starts off really excited, but then asks if uh, his mother will be coming with him. At which point Qui-Gon says, uh, no, I couldn't, I couldn't get Watto to agree to free her. And I guess my question is, why didn't they just take her anyways? Other than the fact that, like, like, young Jedi are taken from their parents at a young age so that they don't grow attached to them and have a weak point and, you know, that someone could threaten. And I kind of read this as Qui-Gon is being a little bit cold-hearted and just saying, like, hey, you're not supposed to have a mother figure anyways. Yeah, this part's weird, because, like, I guess, I don't, like, what's Watto going to do? Go to the huts? Like, what are the huts going to do? Slavery is illegal in the Republic. Right. They're not going to go to war with the Republic over one slave. Yeah, so so there's no real consequence to if he would have taken her anyways. Right. Yeah, it it doesn't make sense either way, just because it doesn't matter, you know? Right. Um... Anakin they, immediately they leave her there. Hmm. They leave her there and they move yeah. on. Anakin goes to talk to C three PO and drops him like a hot sack of shit. Says, "Hopefully someday I'll come back and finish you." Um, and he does. Yes, he does. But so not in this movie though. So it's eventually we go outside out front of the home and there's a really emotional moment where Anakin is walking away with Qui Gon but runs back to his mother crying. Um. He asks, will I ever see you again? And uh, she asks, what does your heart tell you? He says, I hope so, I think. Um, And vows to come back and free her. Major foreshadowing for another movie. Yep. So as uh, Qui-Gon and Anakin are like now on foot instead of on the camel aliens walking back to the ship, Darth Maul comes speeding up on a speeder and basically tries to run anakin over um qui-gon tells him to drop so he doesn't get run over and darth maul like jumps off of the speeder flips in the air and starts uh lightsaber fighting with obi-wan um Uh, qui-gon oh jesus yes qui-gon they're similar you know ish names um qui-gon tells anakin to run up to the ship which he does and tells them to, or and Obi Wan instructs the pilot to fly low over towards Qui Gon. Qui Gon jumps up onto the gangway away from Darth Maul, and they blast out of there. Yep, and this is the first lightsaber v lightsaber fight we get in the prequel trilogy. It's a little anticlimactic. Definitely anticlimactic. Like it's but, not terrible. Like Ray Park has some good choreography. He's cool as Darth Maul, but. There's no big moment of like one about to win or the or anything and Qui Gon escapes like the ship just flies over and they escape. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't seem as though Darth Maul even, like, really tried to stop him from leaving. Yeah, he never gets the upper hand. Neither does Qui-Gon, I guess, but... Yeah, because Qui-Gon's entire plan is to just leave anyways. He's not interested in winning this fight. Right. Um, so, on the ship now, Padme comes down and she's re-reviewing the, the message from the governor. And this is where she spots Anakin down in the hold with the R2 units. Um he says he's cold and so he gives she gives him a blanket to cover up with and says uh you come from a warm planet annie a little too warm for my my taste space is cold and he gives her a gift now of a little necklace that he made her out of a japor snippet which appears to be some kind of wood um yeah i don't know this doesn't really seem to go anywhere other than just plant more seeds for their eventual romantic relationship right and they do kind of put a point on it a little bit here because she says uh many things will change when we reach the capital my caring for you will remain and he says i care for you too i just and she finishes for him miss your mother so after uh anakin and padme talk to each other there's one other thing that happens on the ship qui-gon introduces qui-gon introduces anakin to obi-wan which is an important relationship which, as I mentioned earlier, I'm disappointed we have not gotten more of up to this point. It's kind of like the C-3PO R2 thing. The camera pans out to a big wide shot, and Qui-Gon's standing in the middle, and they're standing across from each other, and he goes, Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm surprised there wasn't a full-on wink at the camera for how big of a deal this is supposed to be. Right, yeah, because anyone who knows the final outcome knows that Anakin will be trained and that it's going to be by Obi-Wan, right? Because this is all revealed right. in the original trilogy. Right, which, in theory, you would have watched already. Otherwise, I mean, this movie already has maybe has some problems, but if you watch this, if you tried to watch this chronologically, I think this falls even more flat. Like, who cares? Why are we making such a big deal out of some of this stuff? Like, this kid meeting Obi-Wan. Yeah, I can get behind that. You know, I, I never watch... If I'm going to sit down and watch all of them, I never start with one, two, three. It's always like four and then one, two, three or four, five, one, two, three. Right. Um, so that happens. It's a big, big wink at the camera. I've seen. Then not much else happens on the ship. They fly to Coruscant. There's a weird exposition of the pilot explaining Coruscant to Anakin just for the, the uh, That's the benefit audience's. of the viewer. Benefit of the viewer. Like it's a whole city. It's a planet whole thing covered in a city um the they just kind of go their separate ways um uh with qui-gon and obi-wan going to the jedi council and then anakin going with padme and the queen quote unquote which is padme to uh the senate to talk to uh the chancellor valorum and senator palpatine right um, this, this whole section is not super compelling. There is one cool part where Palpatine is talking to, I guess it would have to assume it is actually Queen Padme, Queen, Queen Abadala in the uh, mm-hmm. in the makeup at this point, um, talking about how hopeless the Republic has become and how the Senate is all full of bureaucrats who can't get anything done. And Chancellor Valorum is uh, facing charges of corruption, which he says are unfounded, but it makes him look weak. And maybe there should be a stronger chancellor uh, 
cue ominous music. Yeah, uh, he, he's planting the seeds of doubt that the chancellor, the current chancellor, is going to do anything for them. Right. And to, they, immediately they, almost suggests that they could vote for no confidence in Chancellor Valorum. Right. He, he mentions that a few times. He never actually mentions that he himself would be the one to take his place. But in hindsight, having seen both this movie and the entire Star Wars saga and expanded universe such as the Clone Wars, that's obviously what he's going for, which is uh, actually kind of a little cool bit of politicking. You get to see Palpatine, not just his raw dark side power, as we learn later, but like how he maneuvers himself into some of these positions. Yeah, because I wouldn't describe this as he's mind tricking her. No, but just that he's being incredibly suggestive and that she is being susceptible because her people are in trouble. And so she's willing she to take any young. action she can. That too. Like she she is she has a good heart and she seems to be able to handle herself well enough as a politician, but she is very young and inexperienced. Um, yeah, and I mean help. if she's 15, right? Here. She's kind of relying on a lot of advisors anyways, you know. Yep. And he, yep. Senator Palpatine being one of them. Right. So, um, then we go to... Here we, we talk to the, to the Jedi, Jedi Council, yeah. Jedi Council, um, who are very confident that the Sith could not be back without their knowledge. It's not possible. Until yes, not Yoda possible. says, but the dark side clouds the Force, so is it possible? But Mace Windu seems convinced that it's not, which... yeah. And we should reference uh, Mace Windu, played by the illustrious Samuel L. Jackson, yes. uh, just being an absolute badass. Um, and Frank Oz, the original voice actor of Yoda, returned for this movie. Yes. Um, so that happens. They just kind of blow it off. Like, we'll try to figure out who this dude was, but he can't be a Sith. Um, and then Qui-Gon asks about training Anakin, and they say they'll think about it. And that's kind of all that happens here. There's more talking, but it's nothing really. Um, and then we cut to the Senate chamber, which I've always thought is a very cool design with all like the floating chairs of all the, the sheer volume of planets that are within the Republic and all have representatives there. Is, I've always thought was actually a cool visual. I think it's super cool, too. I think the, the way Palpatine has described how they've fallen into bureaucracy and nothing can get done because there's so many varying opinions I think speaks volumes about how politics kind of happens and how when you have too many voices, eventually it, it, eventually no one can be heard because no one 100% agrees on anything, you know, and, and lots of places rely on the, in, in the real world, rely on the idea of democracy where everyone gets a voice by electing their leader and then all the leaders kind of discuss and this is showing how taken to the nth degree when there's hundreds of thousands of planets, how that doesn't work. Yeah. And as we know, uh, just from, from context of later films, like, as we've said, uh, Palpatine has ulterior motives and wants power for himself, but I don't think he's wrong that the Senate is kind of broken. No, I don't think he's wrong in the slightest. Like the, but his it's response theme... to eventually form an empire with him making all the rules is also not, appropriate either right we, we see it throughout this whole trilogy and through clone wars that the the republic is falling like whether or not palpatine is giving it an extra push or not like it's not functioning as intended um which i think is kind of an in interesting undercurrent to the whole thing well yeah um, the, the unfortunate thing is it's not really 
terribly exciting to view right, on screen right. you know it's not it like, could be compelling if they put more time and effort into it but it, the dialogue just isn't there and the time devoted to it is just kind of skimming over it was like oh that's kind of interesting but then it's not yeah it's not developed it's not developed really. well and you and i joke at times that this movie is about taxes and politics which are the biggest things that really kick things off but neither of those facets of it are really developed right and like we joke about it, but in theory, it's not a bad thing. Like, that could be interesting. Like, the politics and how a republic like this with thousands of planets, how that would actually work in, in practice, I think is really interesting if they had developed it. But they don't really. They want to use those ideas without really going into them. And then it just kind of falls flat on both the politics side and the action fantasy side. Right. It really would build the world if they would have literally built it out, you know? Yeah. You do get a little bit more of that in Clone Wars, which is another cool thing. Absolutely. I'm going to keep, sing- keep singing that show's praises. Um, so that's the, the Senate chamber. They do the whole vote of no Palp- confidence. Palpatine is whispering in Padme's ear, trying to keep sowing those seeds of doubt um yeah there's some really like strong lines here that i thought were cool uh padme says if this body is not capable of action i suggest new leadership is needed i move for a vote of no confidence in chancellor valorum's leadership and it's just like feels like a really strong line i really like her lines here um yeah especially when like her frustration seems to truly show when they want to send a fact-finding committee out to their planet to see whether or not it's true that they've been blockaded like the fact that the queen is there complaining about it is not enough proof. Right. Um, I guess then we cut back to the Jedi council. They're testing Anakin on some force stuff. They agree that he's strong in the force, but they think he's too old and too connected to his mother to train. So they say, no, he gets sad. Qui-Gon gets pissed. That's kind of all that happens. Yeah, we, we get some a, a great line here from Yoda, though. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Mm-hmm. I sense much mm-hmm. fear in you. Yeah, that's a that's a classic one. Probably the best Yoda line from this movie. Well, there's one at the end that I might. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, that's a, that's a solid Yoda line. Um, right. So it's at this point uh, that we go back to the Queen's quarters, right? Mm-hmm. And she's elected to go back to um, to Naboo well, and first, be with her Palpatine people. Palpatine strolls strolls in. He's like, "Hey, they picked somebody. It's me." <laughs> well, he, he's nominated Bail Antilles okay, yeah. of Alderaan, which we know is uh, Leia's adoptive father. So he's yeah. a big politician. And then someone from the planet of Malastare were also nominated. Okay, so he hasn't won yet. Uh, yeah, he, she doesn't it, seem to okay. care. She she doesn't seem to care. She's like. Even if you do win and or someone else wins, it's still taking too long. I'm just going to go back myself. Yeah, she's got bigger so fish to fry. I don't know what the point of the no confidence was, if regardless of the committee was going to be formed or not. I, I, I guess the, the only reason it matters is just so that Palpatine is positioned to take him over in the next two movies. Right, which he, he gets what he wants uh, here. Uh, and she is still frustrated regardless of him taking power and they are going to go back to Naboo and do it themselves, I guess. Yeah. And I guess like, 
obviously these scenes are necessary. Well, and you can argue they're not necessary. If Palpatine just shows up in episode two and he's already the chancellor, I mean, you don't need this backstory, but like, if you think about it, they're on Naboo, they run away from Naboo to go to the capital, not really accomplish anything at any of those places just to go back to Naboo. Yep. I mean, it's very roundabout and not really worth the time. Yeah, they pick up Anakin and then Palpatine takes power. Right. So this is a whole bunch of building for things that are not going to pay off in this movie. And this movie suffers for it. Right. Um, There's one more scene of the council who straight up to his face tell Anakin they're not going to train him. Yeah, that was pretty brutal to the kid. (laughs) Which... (laughs) They're already sowing distrust in him, which later will become a theme as he gets older and more powerful. Uh, the trust in the council. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the fact and, that they did this undermines any amount of friendliness they had with him. Yep. And that's pretty much all that happens on Coruscant. Then everyone gets back on the ship and they head back to Naboo. Yeah, I mean, we get a quick scene where uh, Sidious is FaceTiming again with the Viceroy and says that uh, Darth Maul has been sent to to them. Um, yeah. And so eventually he's going to be on Naboo with them. But other than that, they basically just show back up. Um, their plan is to connect with the Gungans because the Naboo apparently are a peaceful people and do not have an army. But the Gungans do. Um, yeah. So they're going to try and meet up with the Gungans, but there appears to be decades of ill will between the two races, if not straight up racism between the two of them, um, that they're attempting to overcome. Um, But they have Jar Jar, so everything will be fine. Jar Jar's the ambassador here, man. That's the way. Yes. So yeah, they go to a Gungan city. It's deserted. So we see that from that plot point earlier that the droids did find the underwater cities yeah because it appears i believe jar jar says it appears that it had been attacked right um and says that the only other place they would go would be to a sacred place that their religion holds dear yeah so they go there and they find them and and they they make a plan yeah oh we get the the amidala padme reveal here Yes, um, so it's at this point that Padme steps forward past uh, Kira Knightley and literally falls to her knees begging the Gungans to help them. And this is what finally gets them on their side. It's an okay reveal, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't hit very well for me as a kid. Like, watching this movie, you know, I I I don't quite understand the significance. Yeah, I don't, I, I think I probably didn't really understand what was going on. Because, like, you don't spend a whole lot of time with Amidala in makeup queen stuff anyways. So Padme is the important one. And then it's just like, oh, I guess she was important the whole time, I yeah, guess. Yeah, so, so, so you like, think that the side character is the one you're supposed to care about. And then you reveal that she's not actually a side character? Yeah. Um, and then, like, so I don't know that I really understood as a kid. And then I knew the reveal as I got older and would have been looking at it with more critical eye. So I, I couldn't like go into it without knowing. Yeah. I wish I could have seen this as an adult for the first time. I don't, I don't know how it would have hit, but anyways, the Gungans agree, they team up and they make a plan. Uh, 
Padme laying out an entire battle plan that seems pretty well thought out and like structured well, supposedly being 14, while Kid Anakin is just kind of sitting there looking awkward, does another, it made me do a double take again on their age gap. Right. <laughs> so the plan is that the Naboo people are going to sneak into the capital city and find the Viceroy and attack him, capture him, while the Gungans are going to be off in the fields around the capital city and do an all-out assault on the uh, the droid army. Yep. Um, and it's revealed here that the Gungans are basically being used as cannon fodder to create a distraction and draw the armies out of the city. Uh, I could poke another hole here, but I don't want to get Poke the hole. I want to hear it. Why does the droid army meet them in the fields? They already hold the city. They could just set up a siege and make the Gungans come to them. And I agree with you 100%. There's the no reason chill. why they would need to be met in open battle. The Gungans chill in this field. They put up a shield and the droids come to them, which makes no sense. Right. Because let's say the droids just hang back and the Gungans just stand there. Well, like the Gungans need to incite a fight for the plan to work. So the Gungans would have to drop their shield and move forward. Right. You know. Not to mention that the Gungans are way outclassed in terms of firepower. They have little either handheld, they're not even grenades, they're just like balls of they electricity. They short circuit the droids. Yeah, so when you throw them, they zap the droids and knock them out. Or they have much larger ones that can be catapulted. But like, they only affect the droids they specifically hit. It's not even like explosives or anything. Right. Whereas the droids have weird. blasters and tanks. Yeah, it's a little weird for sure. Um, that's pretty much all I wanted to say there. Like, it's a it's a fight in a field. There's some weird Jar Jar stuff later. Uh, the the more when, important stuff is in the capital yeah, city itself, you know. Yeah, so for sure, the Queen, Obi Wan, and Anakin and Qui Gon, because of course they take Anakin into the fight um, yep, instead of parking some him somewhere. Um, they they I don't go know, in. Why didn't he just stay on? uh coruscant well because he wasn't going to get trained his mom's not there so now qui-gon kind of has a responsibility for this slave kid he freed you know i guess yeah i guess that's my explanation there because what else are they going to do with him right i guess um, that makes sense and he can't be the hero of the battle if he stays on coruscant right so they fight their way into the palace and get to a hangar where they free some pilots who take small one-man starfighters up to try and knock out the the Trade Federation ship that remotely controls the droids, right? The Naboo starfighters are a cool design as well. Yeah, they're sweet. They look like... Most of the ship designs in this movie actually are very good. Yeah, there's not one that I think is boring necessarily. I'm joking when I say the one looks like a donut. Like, I think it's a neat design, but it absolutely does look like a donut. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, So Anakin jumps into one of these cockpits to hide and eventually accidentally activates it and starts flying away <laughs> yep and then uh i guess maul shows up right right it's at this point that, that darth maul rolls in and so the queen and other freed fighters yeah i um, think panaka's there yeah they split off from qui-gon and obi-wan who stay to fight with uh darth maul and this is where Darth Maul lights up his double lightsaber. Yep. When my brother and, and I were reenacting what, this, and as the kids, song hits. Yeah, Duel of the Fates. Duel of the Fates. 
Oh, one of the best movie like scores of all time. This I, movie might not be very good. That song is amazing. The score yeah. fucking slaps. Yeah. But I remember as kids fighting with my brother about who got to be Darth Maul when we reenacted this fight because he had the cool lightsaber, you know? Definitely. Definitely. It's a little bit disappointing because if you think about it, like they had arguably the du- the double lightsaber is more advanced than regular single lightsabers. And like, you know, this predates the ones where they notoriously only have single lightsabers. But then they right. kind of bring it back with uh, Kylo Ren's like little cross guard thing, which that's true. That's is true. even stupider than the, the <laughs> double lightsaber. But it, I mean, I guess this felt a lot more like a grab to make toys in terms of him being bright red and black and having, you know, the double lightsaber and so on, you know. Right. Uh, it, he's a cool design. And let's the double lightsaber gives him a kind of like an advantage to fight Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan 2v1. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Which he does here. Well, they, they go even more off the rails in episode two because you got Dooku who has two lightsabers, one in each hand, which mm-hmm. fine. What? Dooku only has one. I thought he had two. What the hell am I thinking? But I uh, then there's Grievous who has four. Right. You know, so I mean, like I said, getting a little bit more off the rails in the yeah, prequel there's some trilogy. wild stuff in, the, in Clone Wars too. Or, well, that's uh, episode three, I guess, that we finally meet Grievous, not episode two. Yes, yes. Yeah, getting my timelines mixed up here. So while uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are fighting with Darth Maul, they get into like a power generator sort of area, it seems, with all these floating platforms, not floating platforms, but like gangways amongst various control stations. And there's a lot of like cool jumping between them. And in fact, at one point, Maul kicks Obi-Wan off of one and down a few levels. Right. All this time, the Queen and company are approaching the throne room. They blast their way out some windows when they're confronted by uh, droids to use, uh, like, repel guns to go up a level. And I I thought that was actually pretty cool. But the fact that they were a level below the throne room and that's where the droids confronted them as opposed to going up and onto the level of the throne room and then there's not a droid in sight didn't make any sense. Yeah, it was a little weird, but whatever. At the same time, Anakin has now flown up and is up with the flying donut trying to take it out from up there now that he's... Because his uh, his fighter was on autopilot the whole time, so he didn't have a choice about where he was going. Yep. Um, Duel of the Fates is going on through all these like three or four fights. It gets a little annoying that it cuts between all like four of them. There's yeah. Anakin, there, there's Padme, there's the Gungans, and then there's uh, the the Darth Maul fight. Uh, but the music is good, and still a whole lot of action going on. Right. And so I guess let's take care of these in, like, the least exciting action. So the queen makes her way into the throne room. Um, She's dressed as Padme the Handmaiden, right? And the viceroy recognize her and say, oh, this is the queen. We finally captured her. And, you know, they think they have her. But then all of a sudden, uh, the Handmaiden, Kira Knightley, dressed as the queen, shows up out in the hallway, Right. And so they're like, oh, my God, no, that's the queen. And they send their guards away to go get her. Uh, The real queen's forces lock the doors and she grabs some blasters. And now they have control of the viceroy. 
I don't believe yeah. anything more is done with that other than the fact that they're captured. Not really, no. That's about it. Right. So then let's resolve um, Anakin's Jar fight. Jar Or we can do that too if you want. Yeah, I mean, oh, Anakin makes more sense to do first. Right. So Anakin gets tagged by one of the other flying uh, ships, one of the droid ships, and ends up going into the cargo hold or the open mouth of the donut ship. He crash lands and is trying to restart his overheated ship. Once he finally does, he shoots two random plasma cannons, like, into the heart of the ship, happens to hit their power generator, and the entire ship explodes as he flies back out of the hold. He gets very lucky here. None of this was intentional. Not a single thing. And this... I guess the Force wanted him to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We'll take that as the explanation for everything in this movie. Um... But this ship um, is the one that was controlling all the droids. So as it blows up, down where the Gungans are fighting, all the droids just fall dead because they no longer have a connection to the mothership, so to speak. Yeah, and they were kind of surrounded. The Gungans had kind of lost that fight, but now the droids lose power. Right. So now the final fight that is still going is um, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul. Qui-Gon fights Darth Maul into an area where, for whatever reason, there are vertical laser beams that are opening and closing at certain intervals. There's like four or five of them. Maul runs past all of them. Qui-Gon gets past like four of them, and Obi-Wan is on the outside of all of them because he was kicked down to another level and made his way back up. Yep. Qui-Gon kneels down to meditate, and eventually uh, they all open. Obi-Wan can't make it through the end of them, but Qui-Gon obviously makes it to Maul, and they continue to fight. Yeah, I think the the meditation scene is pretty good. I like that part. Yeah, I do like that he dropped to his knees there. Yeah, Qui-Gon is like more of a a spiritual Jedi kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's at this point that uh, uh, Darth Maul kind of pops Qui-Gon in the mouth a little bit. Yeah. Before... Uh, Because he's he's got his 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 double-sided lightsaber he's using it like a bow staff and he hits him with the middle of it like uh mm-hmm. the, the metal part not the, uh, the laser part yeah yeah and does a quick spin move and stabs qui-gon through the stomach yes um obi-wan is still behind that other laser wall so he's unable to help at this point and he just has to uh to wait yeah, just has to watch his master die. Right. Uh, which does hit hard, but I think it would have hit harder if Obi-Wan had come along in Tatooine and we had more time seeing Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon interact. Agreed. Yeah, there was too much time where they were separated, so you can't tell how close they are. Right. Even though like, we all know that, like, a, or we may not all know, but it seems that a Jedi master to their Padawan is like a father-son relationship to one degree or another. Yeah, a lot of times. And, like, there's some... We, we kind of skipped over the scene, but there's a scene where Obi-Wan thanks Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon had said that Obi-Wan is ready to become a Jedi Knight, no mm-hmm. longer Padawan. So it seems like they have a pretty good, close relationship. Um, But we didn't... I wish we would have seen more of that. Agreed. So eventually this vertical laser beam opens up and Obi-Wan comes out swinging. Um, yeah, he's angry which is interesting generally the downfall of the jedi yes and as as we see pretty quickly he does get 
he is able to cut Darth Maul's uh, lightsaber in half, so now he only has one functional blade. The other one just turns off. Um, Apparently cut in half, the one half still works. Yeah, sure. You got two crystals in there? What's going on? I, I think he has to, right? You know, and one. Probably. But you would think that only one power core or something in the middle, which wouldn't it be where well, that's where it just got core. cut up? The crystal creates the power? I thought the power just went through the crystal. That might be true. I would have to look it up again. I guess. So much I don't know. Star Wars stuff. We, we need to go to Disney and build one ourselves and really understand this. Definitely. Um, But so Maul actually gets the upper hand on Obi-Wan and knocks him into this pit that is in the room they're in. Obi-Wan is hanging by like an exhaust port or light of some sort. Um, And... Maul ends up kicking Obi-Wan's lightsaber down into the pit. So it's gone hundreds of feet away. Can't be gotten. It's at this point where Obi-Wan recognizes that Qui-Gon's lightsaber is laying next to his dead body. Uh, you know oh, what? You know what Obi-Wan does not have here? The high ground. He does not. <laughs> <laughs> Just contradicts well, he tries himself it later. Anyway. So he Obi-Wan tries it launches anyway. himself up and out of the pit. Force grab like uses the force to swing the lightsaber, uh, Qui-Gon's lightsaber up to him, jumps over Darth Maul, and horizontally cuts him in half at the waist. Darth Maul falls into the pit, and you see his torso separate from his lower body. Yes, you do. And this is why it's a major spoiler that he shows up later in uh, Clone Wars, because one can only assume that when you get cut in half, you are in fact dead. Well... I mean, he doesn't have any legs in Clone Wars, so... I know. Does he have robot legs? He does have robot legs. Yeah. Well, and there's a history in this uh, this franchise of robot appendages, so yes. I'm not going to take Ma- too many Many limbs get cut off in this, this series. Right. So it's at this point now, with uh, Obi-Wan rushes to Qui-Gon, and with his dying breath, Qui-Gon makes Obi-Wan promise to train Anakin. Uh... Obi-Wan obviously accepts because he's close with uh, Qui-Gon. Um, in the capital city, now out in front of the palace, the Viceroy are being led away in cuffs um, and are being sent back to explain to the Senate what was going on here. Palpatine gets off his own ship, and this is when he get, he reveals that he was elected Supreme Chancellor. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Um, yeah. And says to Anakin, we will watch your career with great interest. Just dripping with foreshadowing. Yep. Not subtle at all. Um, so now, this is, is days uh, some, later. What? Yeah, just some falling action on Coruscant sometime later. Yeah. So uh, Yoda, Mace Windu, and other Jedi have shown up at Naboo for whatever reason. Um. And Yoda says, the chosen one the boy may be, but nevertheless, grave danger I fear in his training, as uh, Obi-Wan is forcing uh, them to allow him to train. And they do actually grant Obi-Wan that he is a master now. Uh, knight. He's not a master. Oh, a Jedi yet. Knight. Excuse me. The nuance of that is lost on me sometimes. <laughs> because masters are on the council. Jedi Knights are yes. just allowed to have Padawans. That's the distinction here. Correct. Um. And- Oh, go ahead. Their Padawan will call the master, but that is not their rank. That is just because they're there. That's got to be why I got confused about it, yeah. I bet. Um, yeah, it's really confusing. But so they have a funeral pyre for Qui-Gon. Um, 
And then Obi-Wan chooses in the middle of the funeral to inform Anakin that he'll train him. You know, perfect, perfect timing. Good timing. You will be a Jedi, I promise. Um, and at the same time, again, during the funeral, Mace Windu and Yoda are discussing the claim that Darth Maul was a Sith. Um, and this is yeah. where we get the first reveal like, that there's always He was obviously two. a Sith. Obvious to us, but they didn't see him at all. <laughs> no, but like, here they say, like, it is clear now the Sith have risen, but like the last scene that they talked about it, they're like, it can't be a Sith. <laughs> well, yeah, because both Yoda and Mace Windu never actually see Darth Maul, right? So right. previously, when they first said, no, it's not a Sith, they were operating off of the word of Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. And now they're operating off of the word of just Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon with a lightsaber hole in him. And now they believe that it's a Sith. Right. So, I mean, sure, Jan. Like, <laughs> you could have just listened to us in the first place. <clears throat> um, And so this is where it's revealed that there's always two... Uh, sith one master and one apprentice so they're not like the jedi spreading like wildfire it seems yeah it's a good little like musing by yoda and mace where there's like if there's always two which one did we kill yeah the master or the apprentice yeah i like that a lot because no one knows obviously other than the viewer who knows that sidious is clearly the the head of the game um now it appears to be say like the next morning and the Naboo are having a parade. The Gungans are marching up to Padme, who's stood in front of her palace. And they hand her like this, or she hands to Boss Nass this glowing crystal ball. Um, Boss Nass holds it above his head and yells, peace. Um, we pan across the various dignitaries gathered there. There's Yoda, Mace Windu, some other Jedi, um, and Anakin, who already has his... Uh, uh padawan braid so it's been a while because he had short hair yeah they cut it and gave him his little little braid yeah Uh, the the queen smiles at anakin and they roll the credits yeah the the whole parade in the scene is is just like a blatant reference to the end of new hope and on the end of return of the jedi right yeah they need to find a way to celebrate it somehow and yeah i don't know it feels not earned here yet because it was kind of this really random fight that they had you know it's not even yeah, just super just important. a one-off battle you know I, I wouldn't even call it a war right like right the right. war is coming in the next two movies yeah so let's get into scores what did you think of episode one i don't know i'm somewhere around a six or a seven i can't really decide where probably seven just because of my bias towards star wars but it's not like an amazing movie like there's big problems with it with like who which character am i supposed to focus on that there's not a lot of character development it's a lot of plot yeah um and we we spent a lot of time talking about it so i don't know how much more there is to go into but i like it because it's star wars but it's not not a great movie so it's like a six probably i don't know yeah i end up giving it a five i the most the worst thing about it is that it's boring right like for sure there's so much set up for things that you don't get paid off in this movie and that hurts it so bad because you had to wait multiple years if you were watching these when they came out for the next one um I can't imagine trying to sit down and watch this 
thinking what are they going to set up because i'm sure they had already announced that it was going to be another trilogy well and it said episode one so you knew there were two more movies coming yeah i don't know it seemed like a mistake but yeah it was definitely not enough happened that was consequential within the movie itself I guess, do we think it would have been improved if they had started with what ended up being episode two to one degree or another? Do episode two is episode one, episode three is episode two, and then maybe for the the prequel trilogy, episode three would have been young Darth Vader wreaking havoc on the galaxy? I could see that. Because, I mean, they, they talk a lot in episodes four, five, six about how terrible Darth Vader is. But the only thing we know for certain is that he killed a bunch of younglings in episode three and helped build the Death Star, right? I mean, both incredibly bad things, but like, I don't know, it doesn't seem bad yeah, enough, there's so some to speak. expanded universe stuff you can look at, but like outside of the movies themselves, like there's, you don't get a lot of Vader actually doing Vader stuff. Right. And while like with uh, Force Awakens, they uncanonized absolutely all of the shoot-off novelizations none of them are considered in universe anymore so you're stuck with clone wars rebels um yeah and and clone wars takes place between two and three so there's no vader yeah exactly Uh, so you're not gonna get vader you you do get some vader and rebels which is good stuff i think Um, it's not a lot he's he only shows up a little bit but well, that also is specifically targeted towards kids, isn't it, right? Didn't that air on yes. Disney XD or something? Yes, it did. Um, and there are some some darker moments, but on the whole, it, it lightens it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's not quite necessarily what I'm wanting, but maybe I need to check it out regardless. Yeah. Well, with that, we'll chat a little bit about what we got coming up here. So we're two weeks in to the Blockbuster Decades Month. You want to tell us what we got coming up next? According to this uh, schedule here, next week you guys will be doing 2007's Transformers, directed by Michael Bay. Gotta love a Michael Bay blockbuster. This one feels maybe like the biggest blockbuster out of all four movies we're looking at. In terms of, like, you know, it probably raked in a whole bunch of money. We know it came out in the middle of summer when people are seeing movies. You know, I think it's going to be a good review. It should be fun. I I probably won't be on for it, but I'm looking forward to listening to it. I I hope everyone's looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure they are. After that, we are doing The Conjuring from 2013. So, feels a lot like a horror Halloween movie, but I believe it did come out in early to mid-summer. So, that's why we picked it for... uh, the listing here, it is technically a blockbuster. And uh, also, we, we've we talked about it at length, Anthony has, that this is one of his favorite movies. So looking forward to reviewing that with him, and I hope he fanboys a little bit for us. Yeah. As always, you guys can follow us at on Twitter at weave underscore scene underscore that. Like us on Facebook or email us at seenthatpodcast at gmail.com. That's S-C-E-N-E, that podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Adam, so much for coming to help me out since we couldn't have the other two boys on today. Um, And also for being our resident resource for Marvel and Star Wars nerd stuff. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I love talking Star Wars anytime I get a chance. Absolutely love it. I love being on the pod. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. And we love having you. So thanks for listening to this episode of the We've Seen That podcast. Um, I'm Jim and roll credits. (laughs) 